0: Hello, Whatnots. You don't get a normal cold open for this episode of Baxter Building because you get me needing to make an apology instead. The audio on this episode is kind of screwy. The reason for that is we had real problems with Jeff's microphone. You'll hear it happen. It starts off fine and then you'll hear the problem as it comes in. It goes on for about 45 minutes because Jeff and I both thought it was a Skype problem initially. But it's not. It's his microphone. And then we had to switch microphones. I apologize in advance for what's really bad distortion on Jeff. Hopefully in future this won't be the case. We'll have new headsets and everything will work fine. But yeah, the first 45 minutes gets increasingly uh, scratchy on Jeff's side before we realized what was going on. We considered re-recording, but it was 45 minutes. And that kind of seemed a bit ridiculous. So... We're just going to apologize for it right now. Uh, especially for people who listen with headphones, I'm sure this is going to get kind of annoying. Sorry, we really do beg your forgiveness. Otherwise, we also beg your forgiveness because we're going through the last John Byrne issues this time, and that's not a pretty thing. Anyway, here's a Baxter building. Hello, whatnots! Welcome the Baxter Building, the thirty-two. the Jeff is recovering from surgery. I am exhausted. Why are we still talking about John Byrne episode? <laughs> on the plus side on this special, special episode of the series where Jeff Less Jeff, I didn't even do our normal introductions. I'm Greg McMillan, and with me is my normal partner. Jeff Lester. I, I fucked up. Oh, God, it's been so long since
1: it's we so since great. We've I'm like – normally I'm so the one who messes it up. I was like, oh, okay, shit. I got to stick this landing.
0: landing. <laughs> well, um, yeah. No, I, 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 You don't even have a landing to stick. I crashed into the ground way before your landing was due, my friend. Uh, anyway, on this episode, we are doing issues 285 to 295 of Marvel's Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. Spoilers, not these issues is not.
1: But <laughs> spoiler, we do have... when Graham was talking about like not having a landing to stick because it crashes before it even gets there. Oh yeah. <laughs> This is a man who knows how to frame a conversation.
0: Uh it's it's sadly true, isn't it? Uh we are these are John Byrne's last issues. And yes. the two issues subsequent, because like all creators of Fantastic Four, John Byrne leaves after part one of a fucking storyline. Isn't that
1: amazing? It's a really astounding that when we talked about that so many episodes ago, uh, as being a thing, I had no idea that it actually ended up being a thing. For Burns' run, who's like you know, one of Burn, the Burn definitive up,
0: runs on right? FF, you know, Burns ends up on there for sixty-one issues, yeah. of which one issue is kind of a fill-in. You've got the Carrie Gamble issue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, Burns still writes it, but it's quite clearly a fill-in. Yeah. But he's on there for like five years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the circumstances of him leaving the book are complicated. Shall we say? So it's, I don't think he left voluntarily. I think that's fairly obvious. Well, actually,
1: it's fascinating because it, it it is not, a, it's creepy how much he just disappears. There's not a single word of, it's not even like they don't run letters pages uh, in his last issue or the two issues following where he's not there. They do, and they don't reference it in any way whatsoever.
0: Well, it's also worth pointing out that the editor on the John Byrne issues is very quickly replaced in the book. Mm, interesting. So uh, it goes
1: from Mike Carlin to somebody else.
0: It goes to Mike Carlin to Mike Carlin and Bobby Chase uh, as co-editors, and then maybe like the next issue or uh, like the issue after, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's Don Daly. Interesting. Like Carlin's just gone, and Carlin, I believe, is gone from from Marvel. Well, I was about
1: to say, does he follow Burn to DC for Superman? He does. That makes a lot he of does. sense. Okay.
0: He well, but not immediately. Hmm. Uh, Carlin has said in the past, and uh, let's let's just do it here. I was going to say we should do it when Burn leaves, but let's just do it here. Carlin said in the past that basically he uh, got punished by Jim Shooter
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, for for what happened with Burn, hmm. and so he was moved on to licensed books for a while I until see. his company was up. Interesting. He he was taken off the superhero books. Well, and I
1: don't want to take our uh, focus off the FF because there's plenty of interesting stuff to talk about the FF. In
0: fact, is there that this is – so this is my preamble question that I wanted to ask you. Mm, These uh, are Burns' last issues. Right. I think it's fair to say that he
1: is not going out with a bind. Yeah. No, he's not. But the thing that I find interesting and I could be wrong is is there's ways in which – at this point, I sort of have so little confidence in – burn that i can't tell if that's deliberate or not like i there's part of me where i feel like burns various ticks have this level of uh for all i know he's sitting there thinking oh i'm killing it you know like um the first story the, the issue that we're going to end up discussing issue uh 285, 285. you know hero everything about that in, in issue. In my show notes, I've written a very special episode. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a very special episode of the FF. It's John Byrne telling this story, and I think he feels like he
0: is killing it. Like, Oh yeah, I, I think 285 in particular. Let, let's just go into 285. Yeah, 285 let's... in particular really is an issue where you can tell that Byrne is like, Oh man, this might be the greatest superhero comic that anyone's ever made. Yeah, yep. the The plot of Hero, that's another way you can tell that, like, it's burn is on full. I am, I'm making fucking art here. Yeah. It's, that it's just called Hero. <laughs> the plot of Hero is actually amazingly slight, mm-hmm. and is based in part on urban myth, mm-hmm. which is that there is a 13 year old fan of the Human Torch who abandoned... I was going to say abandoned by his parents, which is a bit extreme. Ignored by his parents. Yeah. uh, Bullied in his school. His only friend is someone in his building who works on model aircraft Mm -hmm. and has created uh, uh, his own fuel that he says to this 13-year-old boy, uh, watch out for that fuel can, it could turn you into another human torch. To absolutely no one's surprise, the next you see of this poor boy is weeks later where he is in intensive care and in fact dying because he has burned himself Mm -hmm. so badly and the human torch is taken to him and he tells the human torch i only did it to be like you on the one hand that is a tragic story on the other hand john Byrne does the most john Byrne thing ever which is turn it into just an engine for angst that does not feel in the least bit honest or true or earned or anything. Yeah. But if that doesn't feel earned or honest or true, it's okay. Because it's made better because the fucking Beyonder shows up and says, Hey, Johnny, I don't understand human emotions. That's the entire fucking point of Secret Wars 2. Right. But I'm here to tell you this little kid was happy because of you. Right. you should just keep on being the fucking human torch and you know how you were concerned just like two pages ago that other kids might do this? Just fucking forget it right. Th- this kid was really happy why don't we end with a full page-, page splash of you and the doctor saying maybe this story had a happy ending yes! The- yeah! Is- isn't that horrible? that's the oh, fucking yes. worst uh... Yeah, okay, so this sort this issue also has a framing device of the doctor whose name is some it's isn't it like Karen Darling or something? Yeah, Doctor Darling. She's Janet Darling. She's mm-hmm. Janet Darling. Who starts off the issue just being so upset over what's happened and ends it going I think Tommy, the thirteen year old by in question, would agree that this story had a happy ending. Yeah. Oh, he fucking wouldn't. He's no, dead. I know exactly. What the- exactly. What the- oh, Jesus Christ. I- See, so, a yeah, hero, Burn clearly thinks he's doing the greatest thing. Yeah. And he's not. The end. (laughs) The end. Well, but I I find
1: there's a lot of things that I find kind of fascinating in that regard, which is that for, for lack of a better term in his sort of own beetle brow way, I think Burns a bit of an elitist, I guess. And this issue kind of really does have the... The kind of, oh, poor me, I'm a celebrity kind of woes to it. Kind of a little bit of this feeling of that Johnny Storm is a superhero and is special, which is why Tommy was attracted to him. And when Tommy kills himself, you know, the fact that what Johnny learns from it is is that he actually was the only bright spot in Tommy's life. And this is a vindic- vindicatory moment for... um Johnny Storm, is really weird. Like, it's very much... I'm fascinated by how much this story is a story about th- the poor put-upon comic book nerd that is written by someone who grew up as a comic book nerd and so res- like resoundingly does not identify with Tommy in any way.
0: Like, you know? Oh, no. It, it's amazing. Tommy is beyond the cipher yeah and and nowhere is that more true than the beyonder proving quote-unquote to johnny that his life had purpose because of johnny and all you see is johnny lying on his bed reading a fucking magazine yeah that's it Mm -hmm. that's that's the extent of showing that that this kid lived because of johnny yeah it's it's kind of amazingly hollow. Well, it's super hollow because notice,
1: just notice how that, how Burn takes it to that point of Tommy has to be ultra passive. You know what I mean? He's sitting there reading a magazine. He's not drawing the human torch. You know what I mean? In some, something that would put him, make him stand out as any kind of creator, I guess. You know, he's merely just an unhappy drone who will never amount to anything who can only be made happy by whatever he sticks into his brain. And it happens to be, you know, stories of heroes and it makes him feel happy and comforted. And I think, you know, part of what I find fascinating about this is so much of what's unspoken about it, which is kind of the idea that everything for the the last part of the story ends up being so ridiculously unearned. But because of the idea that comes out of nowhere, they had a whole section where they could have had, like, uh, where Johnny and Reed are at the Baxter building uh, before Dr. Darling shows up. And one would say simple story sense might be, That if Johnny was at any point engaging in any kind of angst or doubting himself or feeling dumb, in which case the whole case of Tommy just seems to more or less put a nail, you know, to drive home the idea that Johnny is useless and his only point is malignant then at least the story has something like a traditional arc when he discovers something that he didn't know, which is that, you know, he really meant something to Tommy's life. Then you even have something that sort of resembles... A story. I mean, it's a story about a narcissist who can only find himself justified in a a child's self-immolation, for Christ's fucking sake. But it's a story. But there's not even that in there, you know? And I'm fascinated the extent to which Byrne is kind of like oh well that's almost it's kind of a priori and i don't know if he means that in the sense of like oh well of course johnny's a marvel superhero he's obviously going to be questioning himself at every single step and you can take that for granted or if Byrne himself is kind of at the stage of what the fuck am i doing this to myself for and his conclusion is is that if well if i just continue to draw enough comic books a child somewhere will set himself on fire there's something to live for. You know what I mean? Something that I, John (laughs) Byrne, can look forward to. You know, this isn't just all for the fame and the money, and it serves a larger purpose. Yeah, if I'm lucky.
0: Here's here's a question that this issue raised for me, in all seriousness. Was this inspired by by something Byrne went through? Because I, as I said earlier, I always took this as being... A play on the the reason there was no human torch in the cartoon was because there were words that kid was going to do this yes but is it possible this is actually based on some kids doing something based on a burn comic i i would be very very surprised
1: i mean i i maybe i mean that's clearly the way that I've, i've framed it but i mean for me i think that it's just very much this sort of weird um it's almost like that weird Sullivan's Travels story that, that artists break out and tell themselves when they're weary at a certain point, which is like, uh or why can't I tell more serious, important things? And it's like, because people just want to laugh is the Sullivan story Travels thing. And that's important during the g- days of the Great Depression. You know, there's a little bit of what i find fascinating is is the fact that Byrne frames a whole story that is liter- literally about suffering and you do see tommy suffer and be bullied and even have a teacher like tell him like hey i know what you're going through i understand he's like and then can i have the magazine back she's like no you know the rules you know and then he walks out and gets punished again you know there's a whole job like existence for tommy but at that point he's really little more than you know a puppy that you kind of see get tortured or in bad conditions in like a Disney movie or something like that. It's just, it's something oh, that there, only there is inspires no emotional. There. Exactly. There's no Tommy. There's just an emotional reflex of pathos that, that burn keeps plucking over and over and over again for those pages. Uh, and then, and then changes it up. And I, I just, of course he needs those bits to be able to show, um, the idea of like later when you see tommy being happy you know that's supposed to feel like enough of a moment i think for us the reader but but again i'm just fascinated by this idea that that burn instantly goes right over to the other side of the scale which is, is like oh my god this person is suffering
0: you know um but that's the thing like when you see tommy being happy He's, like there's also no happiness no. Like there's not, mm-hmm. never anything to Tommy He is smiling while he's reading a magazine Sure right. Yeah. But that's it mm-hmm. Like to- Tommy doesn't exist in this story Yeah. It's so strange Something else from a, from a narrative point of view Which is super interesting to me Is the first what Five, six pages of the comic mm-hmm. Are Tommy interacting with the bully And Tommy interacting with the teacher yeah. You would expect to see them At the end of the story Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? How did they feel about what Tommy did?
1: I, I'm fascinated by the fact that the, the one guy who was basically Tommy's friend is going to prison for life. For, you know, um, for for like working on a special jet fuel thing for his
0: thing. Or yes, something. which which is mentioned in an offhand manner at the end of the, the issue. Right, which is kind I of... mean, it, it's, it's literally one panel. Yeah. That special formula. He makes stuff bi- violates, violated every fire regulation you care to name.
1: Yeah. And like, it's like, what? How weird is that? Like, that's just kind of this strange, like, oh, well, you know...
0: <laughs> it, it's it's really super weird because the burn flips so much mm-hmm. that it goes from Johnny's to blame, this kid hero worshipped Johnny and he did something thinking he could be like Johnny and it killed him, right? To Johnny's not to blame, his friend is to blame because that fuel was really fucking dangerous, right? And it's and then they add in the that special formula he makes a violation of every fire regulation you care to name. Even if it was like regular fuel yeah Tommy would have died why add in this yeah. oh his fuel was extra dangerous yes
1: yeah i i I kind of don't get that either like I don't I think maybe that idea is like oh so there's no chance of this happening again like I just I don't get it I
0: really I, and I, I actually especially hate that because it it's a remove too far mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, why not just say it was regular fuel? Yeah. yeah. Why can't you you leave that in? Yeah. Well, it, it then, been like, no, it's super dangerous fuel. So really, it's his friends to blame. I, I, Even though his friend I, yes. said, leave the fucking
1: fuel alone. Yes. Yeah, basically. Well, and, and it makes me wonder. There is a little, I don't know. There's so much about that. Like, part of me is like, did they feel like they had to throw that part in so that to make sure that kids didn't think that they could set themselves on fire uh, with regular oh, fuel. Sorry. Like,
0: you, you know, I mean, it's just... Like, you think that's why you'd leave in, don't do it with regular fuel, kids? Yeah.
1: Like, basically, I you kind of get end, that feeling so of, like... yeah.
0: The, yeah. End of the story is basically, well, if he did it with regular fuel, he'd be fine. He, he would what? have been... Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: What kind of insane shit are you trying to peddle, John Byrne? For years, like, for years, I heard about this story. I always thought that it was kind of classic, and I think I've talked about this, that period where people who really thought that they were like, yeah, we're telling, like, serious stories, you know, the kind of story that pops up under the, the you know, the omnipresent, you know, pow, biff, ki- comics aren't for kids anymore, and they're, they're yes. like, Watchmen, Frank Miller, and... An issue of the Hulk about drinking, and John Byrne had a story about flatulence, and Spider Man had corns, you know. And it's just I,
0: I, first of all, you mean <laughs> the Hulk had the issue about his father abusing him. This FF issue, and the kid who collected Spider Man—that was the big Spider Man that you remember. <laughs> yes, yeah, I do. <laughs> I know, those were held up like you don't know, remember those issues were held up Is like even Marvel Comics is fucking doing shit yeah exactly exactly meanwhile, like, meanwhile Thor is like I've turned him into a fucking frog you guys yeah
1: exactly exactly it's like I'll have you know that uh, frog diabetes is like an important issue facing America today and uh, Thor has to deal with the fact that he was drinking the, all those flagons of ale without taking into consideration the fact that frogs have very small livers it's a serious a, issue. It's a serious issue. You know, it's so I was always like okay this is kind of just a misguided like oh here I am I'm going to tell a serious story because I'm going to tell it about the people in the Fantastic Four universe and it's going to be a touching story about a kid who dies but manages to inspire Johnny like I said it's a very special issue these are the kind of things that pop up on used to pop up on mockish TV shows and like sappy movies back in the 50s or whatever and you know there was probably some good antecedent and just a lot of shit knockoffs and so I was always like "Eh, this is a shit knockoff and then when i read it i'm like there's something really weird here about john byrne you know which of course is what i say every issue of this podcast and it's going to be a shame it's going to be a challenge to figure out how to keep working that thesis statement into future issues when john Byrne's no longer on the team don't
0: worry when Englehart comes along Englehart is going to replace that so much for you you are going to fall into rapture with the sheer fucking weirdness of the steve Oh, program. I'm sure. I'm sure. I totally get it. And in fact, one of the
1: things that is both a blessing and a pity is, is that we're talking 285 to 295 I went and read 296, and... Yep.
0: There's a reason I left 296 alone, yeah. which is, I think, I honestly think we spend an hour talking, talking uh, about 296. Oh, seriously, we
1: could just about, uh, exactly, just, exactly, which again, has that thing of part of me is, um, you know, we spent two hours talking about the Burns run and the disappearing, and then we read that, and it's just me sobbing and being like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, John Burns, I didn't know.
0: You know, which is which is that idea of like Oh my god, that's the greatest advertisement for the next episode of Packs Rebuilding. <laughs> there you go. Then
1: you can chance put in your slow, sad piano music behind it like
0: you always wanted. A very special <laughs> episode. Oh my God, John <laughs> Byrne! I didn't know.
2: Da, 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 da. Uh,
0: so can, can can we agree that 285 is filth and move on?
1: We can, although I just want to mention one thing that I thought I thought you did deliberately. That was fascinating to me. It doesn't go all the way through, but 285 starts a very brief period, which is to say about five issues, where Byrne is doing something very strange that he has not done on the book before, as far as I can tell. And who knows? I never pay attention. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: I don't.
1: 285 starts a period that runs I, at least through 289, maybe... Me, yeah, I think it's 289. I think in 290, he starts to shift it back. But for at least four issues, John Byrne works on a regular 3x2 grid for the majority of his layouts for those issues. And Hero actually reads like... S- it's on a 3 by 2 grid for almost the entire issue, with the occasional, even when you get derivations from it, it sticks to a grid. Like, that is in a way that Burn does not really do much.
0: It's worth pointing out that of those issues, mm-hmm. a lot of them are Secret Wars 2 tie-ins. Yeah. And we are at the height of shooter being shooter. Yeah. Well, we're at the height of shooter being shooter, but I also think that Burn
1: is, and that could, that could very well be true. That, that, but I, I think, and uh, based on nothing, uh, you know, the next issue that follows, 286, Like a Phoenix, is, uh, is actually advertised, oh yeah, on the cover, as being 30 pages with no ads. So it's a 30-page issue that's Burn inked by Terry Austin. Hello. Um, And I just wondered, that was where I noticed it, was the stuff was as regular as clockwork. And I was kind of like, oh, is Burn under so much deadline pressure that he literally has decided not to think about his layouts at all? Because I feel like Burn, for the most part, is a dude who likes to think of himself as someone who thinks about layouts.
0: You know We will get to in a few issues my weird fact that I'm going to offer Ooh. that might offer a different angle on this. Okay. But there is potentially a reason why Byrne might not be giving it his all at this point. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I think that makes sense. Uh so yeah, let's move on to
1: let's move on to issue two eighty six.
0: Um, like a phoenix, like you said, let's pay attention to the credits for this one, shall we? Mm-hmm. Stanley presents You Know Who, Writer Penciler. <laughs> you know why, right? I don't. Okay, so two things. At the end of the credits, also, it says, well, special thanks to R. Stern and K. Music." Yes. That is Kurt Music. They've misspelled music. I oh, love they did. that. Wow, that is yeah. shameful. You Know Who, Writer Penciler, is because John Byrne is not the only writer in this book, and he's also not the only penciler. Uh, the flashback sequence mm-hmm. as to what happened on the space shuttle to gene gray it's actually written by Cl- chris claremont and it's actually penciled by jackson geist and that sequence was edited in after the fact because claremont complained so much yes about the retcon that he was allowed to write that sequence Uh, to essentially have some level of control over it. Right. That's fascinating. But was so upset that Mm -hmm. he took his his name off the comic. Ah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay, thank you. That's a, a, a very helpful bit of context. Because at the time, A, one of the things that struck me about that flashback sequence was a little bit of, like, I can't believe that Byrne is being so faithful to Claremont's writing style.
0: Is he trying to make fun of it? I can't tell. No, no, it's actually Claremont. Of course. Agile actually Claremont doing it himself. And I can't... I'm trying to think of the timing. No, this was before Classic X-Men launched. But there's an issue of Classic X-Men where the backup is essentially an expanded version of this scene. Of course. Um, And and he goes into much greater depth about what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Like a Phoenix is, and we've talked about this in previous issues. uh, It was in previous episodes, sorry about the way that fantastic four is becoming more and more ingrained in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. And this issue, holy shit, it's a clusterfuck. It picks up, Plots from that month's issue of Avengers and really exists to set up the mm-hmm. X Factor issue that launched the following month. Mm-hmm. It's not a Fantastic Four comic. No, it, it 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 is. It, it is might, not. It might feature the Fantastic Four. Yeah. It might have burn drawing the majority of it and writing the majority of it. It's not a Fantastic Four comic in any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. I when it's amazing, I don't mean in a good way. No, it's actually a really bad comic. Well, and this is the thing that I thought
1: uh, that I thought was fascinating was a little bit of the line of you know, kind of, like, I'd like to have known what really was in Byrne's head. Because, of course, at the time, I didn't know about Claremont's involvement. But I found myself being like, well, okay, on the one hand, it is very, very like John Byrne to do a pedantic retcon. You know, that's totally his speed. So I can see him being down with this. I can see him being, you know... Basically wanting to help participate in giving X Factor the best launch possible, because you know I, my impression, possibly mistaken, but I don't think so, is, is that like a lot of other people at Marvel, uh, Byrne pretty much adored Louise Simmonson and
0: and you know wanted oh, no. her to si- succeed. Simon. Simonson wasn't on the book at this point. X-Factor launched with Bob Layton and Jackson Geis. Oh, that's right. It was Geis. But,
1: you know, I could have sworn that they mentioned Louise Simonson even in the letters pages from the GIT
0: thing. That's really weird. Maybe she was editing? Bob Layton wrote the book. But, yeah, you're right. You're totally right when you mention that. Yeah, right. The
1: first nine interminably motherfucking boring issues. Oh, my God. X-Factor. The
0: plot summary of this, such as it is. Mm -hmm. The FF return to... Earth after a space mission you can't see, and John Byrne being hilariously passive aggressive about the fact that the readers don't get to find out what they were doing in space. I love it so fucking much. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't
1: even a reference to some other Secret Wars 2 issue or
0: anything, right? It's just nope, it's it's actually uh, a weird-ass passive-aggressive thing about something happened in space that the readers didn't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's t- it, it's also a passive-aggressive swipe at Shooter. Mm. Maybe last time I heard, says Johnny, when they're talking about the fact that they're going to tell the yes. people who comic, maybe last time I heard, there was a theory over there that Cosmic doesn't sell, and you can't get much more Cosmic than the last few weeks, mm-hmm. says Johnny. Seahawks responds, I'll just bet FF's Legion of Fans would be mighty peeved if they thought they weren't getting all the stories. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. again, by the time we get to uh, 291, I will drop in a, a, a fact that I discovered just today Ooh. that feeds into slightly. Okay. Nonetheless, you have uh, Burn seemingly making fun of Marvel's editorial staff at this point mm-hmm. anyway they return back to earth they are met by the fantastic uh, by the avengers who say "Oh, we found this weird thing at the bottom of the river why didn't you take a look at it followed by a half page flashback of the issue of avengers this took place in that's right they- uh in do investigate the subject, the subject turns out to have Jean Grey inside it. What? What's going on? Huh? Why don't they recognise Jean Grey? I genuinely don't get that. Yeah. I don't understand. Why they don't because they've met her. They've mm-hmm. all met her before. And also when she was Phoenix, she wasn't wearing a mask. Yes. Yeah. So why don't they recognize Jean Grey? Yeah. Plot, basically. Mm. Plot reasons. While they are investigating, Gene wakes up and is like, you must be fake Fantastic Four. You don't look like Fantastic Four I know. (laughs) I love that. that. (laughs) Just that (laughs) annoying motherfucking
1: like, you know, where he's like, the last time I met them, they wore blue costumes, not black. It's not the invisible woman, it's the invisible girl. Lang's totally like phoning it in or whatever. And I was just like, I don't know why that trope, which is a beloved sort of Marvel trope, um... Uh, grates on me so much here but it really... I think because I just feel like so much of John Byrne has descended into this issue. The reason why I was like, oh, maybe Byrne's really into this because this
0: issue is pedantic as all fuck. You know? And... It is. So you get the... Uh, when Gina's like, oh, what's the last thing I remember? You get an exceptionally long, dull, and faithful flashback yeah. to basically the origin of Phoenix which at this point was ten years earlier. Mm-hmm. I but guess they make it, but Byrne squeezes it down to make it
1: seem like it's two.
0: Yeah, but but includes Byrne actually homaging his own art. Yeah, from later in the X Men run, which is kind of amazing, yeah. kind of stunning. On if you have the GIT, carb issue uh, version, Jeff, uh-huh. it's page fifteen, panel two of page fifteen. The Sentinels have returned. Is him ripping off his own X Men 141? It's fucking stunning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he's like, "I'm gonna homage myself. I'm great, me. <laughs> I'm i gone John and I'm fucking amazing." Anyway, they're like, "Oh wait, didn't? Where have you been? Maybe you're dead." And she's like, "I gotta be dead. What? No. Oh, let's go and visit my parents. <laughs> For some reason, the Avengers, and." Two of the Fantastic Four and Jean go to her parents who are not in. Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, but look, apparently you died. Meanwhile, Captain America, again, not a member of the Fantastic Four, yeah. is watching old videos where the Beast is like, yeah, she turned into Phoenix and then she died. And he's like, but she's clearly alive. What's going on? Then we get the uh, astonishingly long Boring sequence, again, by Claremont and Geis mm-hmm. of this is what actually happened on the, the space shuttle. Yeah. She's not, Phoenix was never Jean, you guys. Phoenix was Phoenix, pretending she was Jean and thinking she was Jean. This is the real Jean. She's back to life. Hooray. Right. Jean's like, oh, I guess that's what happened. And then the issue ends, not with any sort of closure, but with the read going, I know, I'm going to fucking call someone.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, it's like, ah, I'm going That's to pick up the phone.
0: Calling. Yeah. For the amazing answer, don't dare miss the dramatic debut of Marvel's newest super hit sensation, X-Factor, on sale next month. Spoilers, he's calling Angel. I, I, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, In case no one can remember X-Factor 1, he's calling
1: it. I gotta admit, I did read X-Factor 1. I did not remember that. And uh, and I have to say, I, I have to really admire the restraint of Brian Bendis, uh, actually, reading this comic. Because... <laughs>
0: That's not for where I you
1: gonna go the decade where people were complaining about Marvel's bullshit, decompressed stories that went nowhere and had chapter ends that were utterly undramatic, at no point did he hold this up and be like, "Read this, motherfuckers! Read this!" You know? Because um, it really is. It's it's so dull. It could be a comic, a Marvel comic from today.
0: It's it's. <laughs> it's it's really bad it's, i mean it, it's yeah staggeringly bad and the idea that people would read that and then get super excited for x factor is uh, amazing to me i i remember as a as
1: as i was gonna say as a kid
0: it, i wasn't a kid i was in
1: college and reading this and x factor coming back and i'm like that's boring like really just that idea <laughs> of like
0: that's boring that's so- Something I find great is, and I think I've said this in a way a lot before, before X Factor launched, they really were playing up the who is going to be the fifth member of X Factor thing. As oh, yeah, did to that. Mm-hmm. As a big mystery. Mm-hmm. The final page of FF285, which comes out two months before X Factor issue one, mm-hmm. in its net issue box literally gives it away by going, she died in the X-Men, she's coming back in the Fantastic Four like a phoenix. Yeah. There's no way you couldn't know who it is. Yeah, yep. There's no way. And, and then you get to 286 itself, and it's so dull. Yeah. It's so boring.
1: This issue is totally boring. The most exciting thing about the issue, the only part where I was like, and this was me, like, trying desperately to go to, you know, my special place. is like... There's, there's a scene where um, Jarvis comes in and is like, good morning, gentlemen. I thought you might be ready for a pick-me-up. And uh, it's Captain America, Hercules, and Reed Richards. And they've been sitting around like the laboratory equipment working on it. And Reed is like, we've been at it eight hours without a break. Okay, What the fuck is Hercules and Captain America doing? You know what I mean? Like, come on. We know... They've just
0: just been there for eight hours, not getting bored at all. Hercules, well-known for his patience.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well-known for his patience and scientific acumen. You know what I mean? Like,
0: and... And just, like,
1: what happened? That would be if someone gave me, like, a Marvel original graphic novel. It would be those eight hours. And it would be the (laughs) night that all of them spent (laughs) in there. And it
0: would just be Hercules
1: getting bored and dull and saying, like, how about we call some girls and start a party? Or, like, saying something about science. You know what it is?
0: Yeah, what? You actually do that night, and you reveal that they had a fucking adventure, and then they had their minds wiped.
1: Oh, that, that would be great.
0: Maybe on the last few pages, Graham. I want to milk as
1: much of the
0: Captain America gives a boring speech.
1: Hercules, like, you know, says something like, fire upon it, perhaps thou could putst more science on that monitor there. You know, that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> like, seriously, because it is. It's like...
1: Fuck, it'd be one thing if it was like, you know, at least later they go on to be like, oh, it's Tony Stark and Reed Richards and Hank Pym. But the fact that they're like, that can't be Iron Man, can't be Hank Pym. It's just like, Hercules and Captain America? Like, what the fuck? Seriously, I I love that. But at the same time, I was like, to me, that was that kind of thing of like, yeah, people aren't giving any crap here at all. I mean, other than I think John Byrne was like, Hercules, ah, oh, like you know what I mean? Like Hercules gets a lot of screen time. I, I fucking in this. love
0: to draw Hercules. Also, the She-Hulk Hercules interaction is super weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She-Hulk essentially says Hercules is is really seriously into like sexually harassing women, yeah. so I give him shit so he doesn't. Right. Like, in, in coded language, but that's essentially what she's saying. Well, then she follows it up really weird with, like, a whole thing. Because he says, like...
1: Because Johnny's like, what, are you into older men or something? And she's like, well, that's part of it. And then goes on to talk about the fact that he's, like... He's a tough girl actor for a girl to walk away from because his name has become an adjective, a part of the language, and he's got eyes like Tom Selleck. And I'm just, like, on the one hand, part of me is like, oh, okay, like, John Burns kind of doing his weird version of feminism, which at the one part is kind of always seems to be like, I agree with about 20% of it, and I'm terrified and confused by the other 80% of it, where he's kind of like, hey, you know,
0: basically, She-Hulk is, it
1: puts, does this weird thing where she, you know, she sort of, you know, does this, like, yeah, I aggressively hit on Hercules to get him back off, and Johnny Storm's like, so you're not attracted to him? She's like, oh, no, I'm totally into him, and it's, I sort of appreciate that in a way. There's kind of this thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you though? Know, because it's
0: creepy as shit. It's is it? I mean, well, okay. So yes. What? I don't think you don't think John Byrne is like weirdly Mary suing himself and and uh, hey, she'd totally be into me because she's into older dudes.
1: Maybe, I guess. And he's got a beard, or whatever. Maybe John Byrne thinks he has Tom Selleck eyes. I mean, he he might be. I don't feel like the rest of the issue has Hercules acting particularly Byrne-ish. But maybe. I, I think that basically Byrne is trying to paint a portrait of the She-Hulk as... A sexually aware and active woman.
0: But but that doesn't mean she can't keep it in her
1: pants you know what i mean like and that's kind of that's to me is what i see is something that i always wish i there's such a lamentable lack of like oh yeah we're showing women as you know as totally equally you know strong feminist heroes or whatever the great catchphrase Kate beaten had you know, years ago, and it's, and it's always them, like, pushing their boobs up and being like, ugh, I can just, I can be as tough as any man, but I want to be loved, but only after you buy me dinner, because I'm nobody's fool, you know, and I like the idea that that in, in whatever weird corner the world that John Byrne is working in, he's trying to have someone who's like, yeah, I'm attracted to this guy, but in no way do I think that that would be, a good idea, you know, and so she's basically spends the first page talking about her strategies for shutting him down, and like Johnny being like, ew, you're not into him and she's like, "Well, yeah, I am." I just thought that that was a little bit more complicated than we're used to seeing women's sexuality being painted in, and. And again, this is the thing where it's I could, could be totally talking out my butt, which is the perfect comparison, because there's a lot of talking ass shots toward the end of this burn <laughs> run of FF, where like a lot of she holds ass in the foreground and then she's talking. You know, they just don't, they just haven't connected the speech balloon tail to one of her cheeks, but it's kind of prominent in there. So it could be, it could totally be like John Burns, like, oh yeah she hulk you're totally my woman and and i also don't scrape things out of my beard just like hercules doesn't scrape things out of his beard but
0: but i don't know for myself i With was that like that and the tom sellick eyes bit i'm super concerned about your mental image of john burn i'm just <laughs> gonna put this out there i'm just that's 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 just where i'm leaving it yeah yeah, you you
1: should you should because
0: I definitely am. I've got
1: my picture of John Byrne is I don't know Tom Telleck, you know a little more like Chuck Norris but with a pen, you know.
0: <laughs> God, oh no! <laughs> Fantastic Four issue eight seven, prisoner of the flesh, yeah. and Jeff, I'm going to be blunt here. Hmm. We are covering a lot of issues, most of which aren't any good. Yes. I would like to propose that we, instead of covering individual issues, cover storylines. Oh,
1: yes. Because no, a big fan 285, of this, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. is storyline storyline. 287, yeah. 288 is one storyline. 289, yeah. 290 is one storyline. 291, 292 is one storyline. 293, 294, and 295 is one storyline. Yes. And it's, it would be easier than doing issue by issue. Agreed. And faster. Yeah. Are you down with that? I am totally down with that. 287 is Prisoner of the Flesh, 288 is full circle, and the short version of this is, hey you guys, Doctor Doom is back, but he's back in the lamest way possible because John Byrne and Jim Shooter have decided it's finally time to explain what Doctor Doom was doing in Secret Wars when he should have been dead. Yeah. The short version is as, as when Doom died, way back in I think 260, it was... Doom's return was set up very clearly which mm-hmm. is there was a bystander that Doom it looked like he hypnotized him but as mm-hmm. we find out later it was slightly more complicated and, and so Doom lived on even though Doom's body was reduced to atoms that then got complicated by the fact that just a couple of months later Doctor Doom was back as Doctor Doom in Secret Wars and no one said anything Yes, including Fantastic Four who had literally just watched him die mm-hmm. the reality is Jim Shooter didn't actually know that Dr. Doom was dead. Right. Why why just explain that away? When you can, if you're John Byrne, come up with a two-issue storyline to explain it, which basically includes, here's the end of the story I planned, namely, this bystander is now possessed by Dr. Doom's mind. Uh, but then that gets involved with the Beyonder, because Secret Wars 2 is still going on, you guys. Yeah. The Beyonder shows up, goes... I've met Dr. Doom, this guy's in Dr. Doom oh shit, it's totally Dr. Doom you guys, this is Dr. Doom I know, <laughs> I'll make a close Dr. Doom body, stick his brain into it stick the guy's brain back where it belongs so you can just be a normal guy again then I'll send this Dr. Doom back in time to be part of Secret Wars cut to Reed Richards going, and then because of how time travel works, that Dr. Doom's going to appear here, which makes no fucking sense, oh, No sense but at the end of 288 it it literally well because of how time travel works we should leave because dr doom is going to come back because that's how time travel works and then he does in fact return even though there is no reason for that to be the case
1: yeah yeah i mean it it literally so you can see sort of why i had no um Real faith in John Byrne for the, yeah, he'll spend 30 pages happily boring us as to how Gene Grey could come back and never be Phoenix, because Byrne sets up a perfectly interesting return of Doctor Doom and plays that card for a really boring retcon explanation of how Doctor Doom could be in Secret Wars, which again is kind of a little bit of. Does anyone really care? Like, obviously, again, my thing is, is I have to feel like Burn does or is. I mean, why not continue it? You know, the Reed's whole thing at the end of it when the when he's like, "Okay, we got to get out of here because the the Doctor Doom's about to show up," and and it said, and he says something like, "When we face Victor Von Doom uh, next, it will be on our turn, not his." It's like. It's not Doctor Doom's term that he's popping up into the void filled by his time rift. Like, this is their best chance to actually catch Doctor Doom off guard. Yes, because
0: Doctor Doom's just going to show up and be like, wait, what is the date? I literally I... was just in space. Exactly. What the fuck is going on?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, there are a couple of things that are worth calling out beyond this terrible, terrible introduction of Andre. The wasps' personal hairdresser,
2: oh, who gives Sue
0: doctor, yeah. the worst haircut in the world. John Byrne and Josephson. Uh, we should say Joe It actually comes on as anchor for a few issues as of this issue. Oh, uh, John Byrne, it like It's a
1: huge return, and he's only here for like two issues. I think he's only here for this storyliner. But perhaps because
0: that's not a good combination.
1: Yes. Let like, us uh-huh. like just
0: put this out there. John Byrne and Josephson. It is not a good combination at all, and nowhere is that more obvious than Sue's new look, which (laughs) is astounding anyway, the Doctor Doom possessing the normal guy, whose name might be Norman, I might be misremembering is is complicated by the fact that he initially dresses as the Invincible Man who was Sue and Johnny's father before yeah there is no explanation given for why that is the (coughs) case, Mm -hmm. none literally zero There is no explanation as to, I mean, on the one hand, you can go, well, Doom needed a disguise. Sure. Mm -hmm. Why did he pick that particular disguise? Mm -hmm. Never explained. Never. But here's something else that shows that John Byrne maybe might not have been giving a, a shit. There is a point in this where Sue is very concerned. Who is the invincible man? And she uses her invisible powers to turn his headgear invisible and she sees the dude's face. Mm-hmm. Cut to literally three pages later yeah. where dude takes off his headgear and he has Doctor Doom's mask on underneath. Yeah,
1: yeah, Did it's Sue true. Did
0: Sue see that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that is such a good point.
0: Yeah, they it's just see that Sue somehow made the Doctor Doom mask invisible as well and didn't realize? <laughs> <laughs> because that seems to be the only explanation and that makes no sense. Yeah.
1: Well, or that it, while he was in there, like, once they attacked the building, he grabbed it off a doombot?
0: I don't know. There is makes... literally no time he can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so- Sooch makes his head get invisible and then gets in a fight with them. The fight is then interrupted by the wife of the guy. That's right. And then he pulls off his mask. So there's no time that he has moment well, to be like, wait, let oh, me yeah, pull right. this mask off, yeah, it's the put this thing. other mask on, then put this mask back on. There's no time for him to do that. <laughs> oh, John Burton right. does not give a shit in yeah. uh, 250, uh, 287. But luckily, he also doesn't give a shit in 288. 288, <laughs> Doctor Doom versus the Beyonder, full yeah. circle, which. Uh, it's just it, – it's astounding. I, when Burns started in this book, you and I were both like, he does a pretty good Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't believe that from this issue because his Doctor Doom here is amazingly cliched. Yeah. Do you know what they... uh, and,
1: I Maybe. I mean, I, I sort of appreciated a little bit of the – um. The little conundrum of when uh when the housewife refers to reed richards is the most brilliant and alive and and doom flips out and is getting ready to crush her and and reed's like hey she's beneath you like you know what's it gonna what ends it gonna serve you is this how you demonstrate your power basically making it be like come on man you're bigger than this and and victor being yeah you're right yeah 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 i sort of that part i do dig um but but maybe that's me. Maybe again also that by this point it's become cliche. I mean, the rest of it is just all it's just it's really bad on the Blabity blue. The whole idea that Doctor Doom is even also like, I have to I have to bring back my original body that's been scattered to the Nethers. It's like if that was a fucking priority to you, why did you come up with an entire plan that involved putting your essence into a small child who has an entirely different body? You know, like, there's just shit that does, it, th- th- like you said, Burnt doesn't give a shit. He's kind of got to come up with a reason to have this happen. And either he knows that he's leaving and this is one of the the whole, like his Doctor Doom death fake-out is like one of those things that he absolutely has to get wrapped up before he leaves. And he might as well do it in a in the form of a pedantic explain-off, you know? But, ugh, boy, it is just, it's such a terrible issue. It is so boring. It's so boring. But I'm also fascinated by the idea to which uh, Burn has used, uses the Beyonder. And I mean, I'm sure everyone's like, oh, we've got to use the Beyonder, you know, but I wonder if it's telling in any way that the Beyonder as, as Byrne uses him here and in the previous issues, that there's like, um, it it's basically to show up and have the Beyonder lecture people about Either lecture people about identity and who they are or be lectured to people about identity, you know, be lectured by Reed Richards about people and identity.
0: A few things. First of all, when you call called this an explain off, then you're totally right. Like I should put panels this up on the show notes and you'll see just how astoundingly text heavy this issue is. Mm-hmm. And also that none of the text is saying anything. Mm-hmm. This is this feels like 288 especially feels like Bernie's being paid by the word oh god yeah it it's astoundingly talkative and really empty of content mm-hmm. um it's also astoundingly heavy on re-lecturing every single fucking person mm-hmm. in in hearing distance yeah he lectures doom he lectures the beyonder mm-hmm. he's just like no let me tell you how it is <laughs> yes. talk More about reed as you know the ultimate alpha male as the man who could never be wrong and the man who's always in charge and for all his faults Burnes kind of moves away from that but in this issue no the fuck he hasn't this well, is this 288 is 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 full on reed knows best
1: yes well, I feel I feel honestly that um, one of the things that's been interesting about Burn is Burn very much moved to the idea of Reed knows best, um, but tried to do it in a way that removed a lot of the grating arrogance, you know. And for the most part, I was pretty happy with that change. I mean, Reed still is always knows everything, and Burn will have that to the point where it shuts down plots pretty goddamn fast. But, uh, but uh yeah, this one is some kind of remarkable milestone, which, again, is just this idea of, like... Part of me is like, is Byrne excited to have his uh, fictional stand-in lecture and win an argument with Jim Shooter's fictional stand-in? I don't... I don't even know. I literally don't know. I just know that it was... It was... I mean... 285 through 288 is an amazing um, buzzkill of momentum. It just drags. Well,
0: ev- every single issue is a crossover mm-hmm. of those four issues. It's four issues of crossovers, right? And you know, at least 287 to 288 kind of has a a very heavy Fantastic Four, like right. you know, it's tying up a, a dangling plot for the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. it's four issues of crossover.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: which is just amazing to think about. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, this is super pedantic, but the Beyonder's explanation as to where he got Dr. Doom for Secret Wars is nuts. Mm-hmm. His explanation yeah. is, I was gathering everyone together, and you were all thinking of Dr. Doom, but I couldn't find Dr. Doom in the timeline. So I reached into the future and grabbed Dr. Doom, why the future as opposed to the past? Right, right. Um, like, if you can't find him at that moment, what would make you think? And sure, he's like fucking, you know, space god, whatever, time is different for him. Well, but still, I, but yeah. like the idea of like, you know, I can't find him right now, but I'm sure he'll be back later. <laughs> well right which makes
1: no sense it really doesn't make any sense but except that I feel but it that...
0: has to happen because he has to be like oh this is where this Dr. Doom is going to go even though right. that it- itself is absolutely ridiculous because mm-hmm. that Doom then reappears immediately afterwards and by the way never appears in the rest of Burns Run mm-hmm. like it, it, he then just creates a new dangling plot for himself
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: because the issue ends with Doom is back never seen again Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. well it's it's fascinating how much uh the extent to which Byrne uses doom as a oh i don't know you know just kind of like oh here's uh, one could say there's an enormous ambivalence about dr doom through all of Byrne's run right because at every stage most of his storylines the majority of his storylines are here's dr doom no it's not you know here's dr doom no, it's not. It's a robot. Here's Dr. Doom. No, it's not. It's Kristoff. Here's the real Dr. Doom. No, it's this other dude, but it's also Dr. Doom, just the same way Kristoff was Dr. Doom. But no, no, they're all not. You know what I mean? There's just something that's No, but this this
0: guy theoretically was actually Dr. Doom.
1: Was actually Dr. Doom. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet Reed's whole thing is, is like, wait, you didn't even recognize this guy, which I thought was going to go in a completely different, potentially more interesting place. The oh, Beyonder so much! So
0: much of this story could have gone in a more interesting place. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, like this, this, sort of, like there is genuinely a lot of potential to the idea that the Beyonder had to bring Doom back to life in order to fulfill history. Right. The idea that Reed lectures him into it <laughs> is 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 the worst way to get there, especially with the particular lecturing he he gives. Uh, you may have great godlike powers you may be able to perform miracles but there is, yet remains one power in the universe greater than you greater than anyone the power of history beyonder I skip it forward that's not true <laughs> like the god history means fucking nothing to him
1: well but i think that this is burn's point and i sort of assumed it was when you were saying like why would he grab doctor doom from the future I feel like the next set of storylines kind of is Byrne trying to follow up his point about time travel, which is basically that the past is invio- inviolable—that there is no way that the Beyonder could have grabbed Doctor Doom from the timeline if he hadn't already done so, or some bullshit. I don't know. John Byrne and time travel is just like the absolute worst combination. I hate it every time it pops up so
0: as we we'll be, find out in a couple of issues oh yeah which i was
1: about to say i was trying to leave it into a segue about 289 through 292 god does it take up that much fucking space no no, the no the time time travel, i'm travels
0: 291 and 292 oh, okay. Thank you. Sorry. Um, yeah it's it's there is, like i said there's so much potential in this storyline and it is potential did you honestly get the feeling the John Byrne was like, "Ah, oh, but no. Yeah. yeah. It's just not. hmm hmm mm-hmm. Sigh. Yeah. Deep sigh. <laughs> if you open that now, you'll create a chain reaction, a transtemporal shockwave that will rip across the space-time continuum, shattering all before it. Could you even survive the destruction of time itself beyond her? I do not know. Here's something I wanted to put forward to you about the use of the Beyonder uh, in this issue and in 285. Doesn't the Beyonder remind you, weirdly, of the Watcher? Yeah. Especially in 285. 285, that should be a Watcher role. I mean, mm-hmm. in in all seriousness. Oh, yeah. No, completely. The, the reason for that to be the Beyonder, the Watcher should have popped up yeah. and been like, you guys, I'm sworn to never intervene, but mm-hmm. Johnny quitting FF, it would be of cosmic importance and I have to t- let him know that because I see all I've been seeing this tiny little kids like that's a much better thing than beyond doing It genuinely yeah. is. I, that idea to me is a much better idea than the doing it. Yeah. Not so much here, but the the beyonders' attitudes here of of like I am I am cosmic and you fucking don't understand. I'm fucking cosmic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bands and re- readers like, I will lecture the shit out of you. He feels <laughs> yes. very much like a lecture appearance.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: As opposed to the Beyonder, who, and again, I've not read Secret Wars 2 recently. Jeff, I've been leaving that joy up to you. But oh God. didn't the, the, what, the Beyonder literally go between, what is the meaning of life, to I'm going to kill all of you? And there wasn't this like quasi-passive grumpy dude in the middle.
1: I I have to say, I do not know it. I mean, that's the thing. Part of me is like, and also kind of in a way, who cares? You know, the thing that I sort of (laughs) like about I sort of like that the Beyonder, particularly in 285. uh, Like you said, his role could have been filled by the Watcher. um, And it would have made more sense. But it's, to me, it's like it's not that intrusive. It's only intrusive about the idea that he teaches Johnny Storm about humanity when technically at that point he doesn't know. He's just barely been shown how to use the yeah. bathroom by Spider-Man. And I'm I'm like, I I don't care. I don't care about the Beyonder. I'm like, OK, it works. You know, like as a John Byrne being like, OK, I got this hassle off my fucking desk. I, I'm kind of into it. Less so the Secret Wars 2 thing, in part because it feels like Byrne is trying to settle a score with Secret Wars 1, you know, where he's saying, like, no, literally, continuity matters. I mean, that's what he's saying to Jim Shooter on Durr, you know, is Reed Richards being like, the one thing that matters is continuity in history. And you're like, that's absolute gibber Jew, you know, but it's not to John Byrne, continuity cop you know, What well, sure
0: his sure. and and bizarrely on the on the larger scheme of things, I think I agree with John Byrne continuity cop. It's sure. just that too. under the laws of the Beyonder, sure he can rewrite history. He's fucking god. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah,
0: he like that argument makes no sense. And the and the idea that Reed can literally lecture the Beyonder into submission. <laughs> It's insane to me.
1: Insane. It's, it's insane to me, but there's part of me where I'm like, that, that seems like John Burns' Fantastic Four.
0: Like, all but, the ingredients are there leading up to it. So, you know what I mean? So here's here's the thing as well. Part of me thinks that your response to the storyline mm-hmm. is John Burns' response to the storyline, which is, mm-hmm. eh, it's fine. It does the job. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and that there's there's no problem with you thinking that because you're the reader. There's right. much more of a problem, than John Byrne, thinking that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and we we Byrne started this book and seemed like such a fresh breath of air because he was f- clearly loving it. Mm-hmm. You know, he was super into the book and he mm-hmm. was super into doing his best, mm-hmm. and. And that's just clearly not the case by this point, mm-hmm. and and the difference is, the difference is vast. I'm going to take a slight detour here. I was thinking about this earlier on, um, actually in in respect to Starbrand, mm-hmm. but people talk about like you know Burns classic runs,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and for my money, Burn has two classic runs which are fantastic for and superman you could you know say perhaps alpha flight because it was during that same period oh, but alpha flight, is, alpha flight isn't a good comic no it's you not. know and you can make an argument that his superman run is is as flawed as his later Fantastic four issues mm-hmm. but it also made me think burn as a creator has a remarkably short window of being great Mm. Well, because no, but think yeah. about it. After Superman, he comes back and he does Star Brands, and you've just read these comics, Jeff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's fair to say those aren't good comics, right? Yes. And how how yeah. it afterwards? <laughs> well, okay, just but of so a similar level of quality.
1: Uh, I mean, I okay. I personally tend to agree with you because I my patience for Byrne as writer artist is very thin but there yeah. are people who would make the argument that his run on she hulk for example was great or or at least very good you know and i don't actually think that i think that i think the she hulk comics are um, uh, interesting humor comics from somebody who doesn't have a very good sense of humor per se, but you know. But I kind of get it, you know. It, they don't they don't really turn my crank, but I think there's a case that could be argued that they that they turned somebody's crank, or that I mean, I felt his West Coast Avengers stuff. What little of it I read, I found kind of heinous and off putting. But maybe somebody was super into it. Every once in a while, he would do something where I'm like, oh, yeah, this Generations comic, I kind of like what he's doing here, sort of, you know? And so I feel with Burn, uh, you know, it's a little bit of one man's trash is another man's treasure. For myself, the great majority of the work that he does, I, I, I think is actually pretty extraordinarily dull. But... Um, but I'm also the sort of person that is kind of like is the worst person to ask because I'm like yeah because when he was doing Iron Fist baby you know and everyone's like ugh
0: Jeff ugh. you know so I
1: don't know but, what, but I it, don't, even I don't know.
0: even then like he's an artist I mean like as writer artist his his yeah. golden period is remarkably short
1: right yeah well yeah I I that that is probably true I think he was considered this great creator but i think in the back of his head it in the back of everyone's mind um he was a much his his debut as writer artist was surprisingly strong uh and then it just kind of seemed to get a little bit lamer over time but i but yeah i don't know i mean john Byrne is an interesting character in that regard to me it's very much watching him get i mean part of me is like the guy did like five years of the FF and as well as other stuff that he was doing, you know, on the side with all this, including his run on alpha flight at the same time or writing the thing or whatever. Now the Burn like Burn, one of Burns biggest mistakes is thinking that he could do Jack Kirby, you know, not everyone could be Jack Kirby. And I don't feel that burn is even aware how much he was like, Oh sure. Like, Kirby could do four books a month. I can do four books a month. And you know what? He he can't. Like he can't <laughs> even really come close. But but I sort of see why he think cuz it's a weird isn't it weird? I always feel like when like Dave Sim goes in and and was like I'm going to do 300 issues of Cerebus you know, that it's this weird landmarky. like everyone looks at Lee Kirby's FF, F- the very title we're reading now. And it's like, oh, they did an amazing 100-issue run. I have to do that and beat it and be better. Or I have to take Kirby, this is totally, I apologize because this is the kind of thing that I'm not a big fan of, of name droppery. But way back in like 19. 19- 90, 91 or something like that, I was at San Diego Comic Con and I was talking to Scott McCloud who was had, you know, I was telling him how great I thought his Zot was and he told me like, oh thank you, I'm leaving it to do this book that's a comic book that explains uh, comics called Understanding Comics and I said something supportive and helpful like, you're an idiot, that'll never sell, you know, or something like that
0: <laughs> anyway, you're, you're a good guy, Jeff
1: I'm a good guy, I'm a, I'm a true fan No, no, no. I said lots of supportive things. But at one point we were talking and he he was talking about comparisons between Richard Wagner uh, and Jack Kirby. And one of the things that he said was Wagner was so huge, an entire generation of music composers more or less destroyed themselves trying to be him. And his point that he kind of went unspoken was that's also exactly what happened with Kirby. And at the time I was like, huh, I don't really get that, but okay, sure. Interesting thought, you know, and the older I get, the more I look at something like Burn and part of me is like, yeah, maybe that guy. Cause I mean, at the point like this, these, the Fantastic Four, he, it's sort of under Marvel's royalty plan and he's selling 254,000 issues, copies, uh, per issue. During this period, at least according to the circulation reports, he's probably making hay. He, he, you know, to say everything else of like convention sketches and commissioned work, he's doesn't really need to push himself as much as he does. But he is crazy. I remember when he went to DC and he's like, I'm going to be doing Superman and I'm going to be doing action comics. Mm-hmm. And... He didn't really seem to have much of a good reason for why he was doing that other than some sort of vague kind of like, oh, but, you know, Kirby, he went to D.C. And when he went to D.C., he was doing, you know, that many books. I'm doing that many books and they're going to be even better because it's me, John Byrne. And, uh, you yeah, know, I don't know.
0: I like that. That's where you ended. I don't know. Let's yeah. move on. I was going case. to say something um, about
1: Icarus flying too close to the sun, but I'm like, you know, you're know, you already convinced I've got too much of a weird, crushy no, thing no, on John Byrne. No,
0: I, I, I just love that you left it with, well, I, don't no, I don't know. John Byrne, man, I don't know. <laughs> 29 and 290 are uh, called Rip Wide the Sky and Risk. And if John Byrne is tying up his loose ends, and he pretty much is at this point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is the part where you go didn't he try an annihilist story that went absolutely nowhere i wonder if he could do another annihilist story that goes absolutely nowhere absolutely just nowhere. to remind us and guess what you guys blast ours back leading mm-hmm. into the return of Annihilus, and it goes absolutely nowhere yeah uh, the plot of this is basically the Fantastic Four gets kidnapped by Shields because the destruction of the Baxter building when it blew up in space caused a black hole. The reason it caused a black hole is the inside the Baxter building, maybe someone remembered, was the negative zone portal. And yeah. in blowing up the Baxter building, they have just created a hole to the negative zone. Mm-hmm. That is being kind of weaponized by Blaster on the other side. Mm-hmm. As the FF go and investigate Reed's stupidly flies in himself because he's an idiot leading to think he's dead spoilers this is somehow going to continue the plot for three issues fuck knows why oh, um uh, and they uh they all end up in the negative zone where blaster's like haha my entire role is to be cheap calibac who blows shit up <laughs> and oh no you've beaten me <laughs> but just before you've beaten me I'm going to convince you because apparently Johnny storm is the dumbest human being in the world. Yeah. I'm going to say, no, I can't believe you're going to throw that rod in there and destroy it into that portal. And Johnny's is like, what this portal? You bet. I am. And a yeah. freeze analyst who comes back and says, I'm reborn. And you guys remember before I did absolutely nothing. Just wait, I've got a whole new issue. To do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That was 289. 290 is. Hey, I'm fighting you guys. Now we're all going to have a fight. Yeah, a fight, right? Oh, let's have a fight. A fight? Sure. Let's have a fight. What if we talk about having a fight instead for an entire issue? Mm-hmm. And reads like, no, I'm gonna I'm just gonna have a fight now. You guys should leave the negative zone. I'm going to have a fight. And then they leave the negative zone and the portal explodes. And Sue's like, Rita's dead? Because that makes literally no sense. But that's where she goes. Uh, And she's like, I will never be the same again. Remember last time I was really depressed? I'm going to be more depressed. But this time grumpy as well. Grumpy and depressed. You've never seen me like this before. Also, you've mm-hmm. never seen my hair like it is these days. Remember that great haircut I had? That was terrible when Josinette was inking. Now that Al Gordon's inking, I have like a weird ass swoop, which is hilariously identical to Johnny's. Yes, Just it's <laughs> great. Hair. It really have, is. I, Johnny and I share the same hair right now. Yeah. Uh, but she's like, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm upset and I'm grumpy. And Nick, Nick Fury, you made this happen, so I'm grumpy. You, we're gonna go back to Earth. Let's go back to Earth. It's 1936! <laughs> and that's 290. And I have been as respectful to these issues as they deserve. Jeff, yeah. I dare you to say any different. Uh,
1: I, I cannot say any different. The only good thing that I can say about issue uh, 289 and 290 is, is that Blastar looks like somebody who should be fighting Popeye. And that is, honest to God, the only good thing that I have to say about those two issues. Like just looking at him and the look on his face and various burn cartooning, I'm like, oh, you just want to see you just wanna see Popeye come in there and just pop him one in the jaw.
0: So anyway. It is impressive that Burn has genuinely brought Annihilus back to do less than the previous Annihilus storyline, which listeners may remember, lasted four issues and yeah. literally did nothing. Yeah, I had him doing nothing. For- four issues of subplots and then ended up with it being like, back to the negative zone.
1: <laughs> I, I kind of like the idea that Annihilus and Blastar are essentially the two guys in the forbidden zone, the negative zone that we know. Uh, and they more or less hate each other and are at war with one another. And it makes sense. They're sort of scientific egomaniacs of a crazy sort. And the idea that the FF is basically sort of caught in between them and Blastar is able to use them to free Annihilus but then, you know, and everything's shifting. There's supposed to be a bunch of fast-shifting loyalties on a spaceship that's supposed to explode. It's kind of got a whole, like, uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan feel to it if Wrath of Khan had been god-awful and boring. but, well, but um, here's the
0: thing. Like, your description of that sounds interesting. Yeah. That doesn't really appear on the page.
1: No, it doesn't. You can see you know? where it's there, but Burn just doesn't have the time for it. He just could not— he, He's just really in. He's in. Got to catch a bus mode. He just cannot be bothered with most of what he's doing on the page in these stories. That you, that you might.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, listeners might be wondering, but isn't it good that there? You know, this isn't a crossover issue. It like we're five issues in. Can we not finally have a non crossover issue? Oh, all contrary, my friends. 289 so <laughs> starts with a fucking scourge appearance. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, the, Scourge, the, the, Basilisk, sh- the, Basilisk, yes. the Basilisk returned after Marvel team up issue 47, which must be years ago by the time oh, this yeah. comic came out. And mm-hmm. it's like, I am finally free when they build this new building. I'm finally free. Look at me, it's great. Hooray, I'm free. And then he's immediately killed by Scourge. And it's there's a little editor's note that says, But uh, seek out current issues of Captain America for the full scoop and what you just witnessed. We wasted four pages of this comic Yeah. for that. It's just, man.
1: Well, because I think there's a little bit of the, I mean, you can see what they're trying to do, Graham. Because I really was not paying attention. I'm like, oh, they're going to have to fight the basketballists. That'll be kind of interesting. I remember him from that last appearance of Marvel 2 and one uh, Sorry, Marvel Team-Up. And uh, then he's dead. And I'm like... Oh, that uh, sucks! Right, I forgot. This is the part that sucks. Like, because I know the Marvel... The that Marvel this this was when everything was sucking.
0: I forgot that.
1: Oh, I mean, I see what they're doing, but but as you know, and I think we talked about this a little bit. If not me rambling during these recent Baxter buildings, then during that time when we were rereading the Avengers. There is a period where Mark Grunwald and other people are in the process of putting all trying to make the marvel universe less riddled with wonders i assume in the in the hopes of making the few things that stay stand out you know and also to give us this feeling that like changes happen so they destroy the savage land they literally get rid of the skull Rate scrolls um or such as their stated intention and they have you know mark mark Grunewald taking steve gerber's like dwarf with a gun and turning him into a super variant villain serial killer with the plus i put that in quotes of having him be able to bump off c and d list characters so that the marvel universe again it seems like uh it doesn't seem so trivial you know suddenly but it has the it has the opposite effects it's kind of when that happens you're just like oh man like really that that's just what happened to the basilisk and we're yeah, that's it, all it's we're gonna fun. see about it.
0: This yeah. is so dumb, but I have to this day a little bit of sadness that the fucking ringer got killed by Scourge. The ringer is a terrible character, but there's something about him that I genuinely like. I love and the I, ringer it, from the
1: Defenders.
0: Yeah. And yeah. It, and it makes it but it it actually it, it shows up for me the problem with the Scourge idea. Mm-hmm. Which is you will literally gain nothing from yeah. killing off these characters. Yeah. Like, cause everyone, like there's going to be someone who loves each of these characters
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and you're not adding anything yeah, by killing them off. Yeah. It's entirely harmful yeah. to the richness of your, your fictional universe.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I want to say that later on, I feel like didn't Grunwald regret it or other people involved with the storyline,
0: like Stern were kind of like, Oh yeah, that was kind of a mistake um or I, I, just I i i do not know but i would also not be surprised mm-hmm. because because of nothing else it is such an wall idea ultimately yeah yeah yep. because it is so so uh reductive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and also i could be wrong but wasn't scourge like wasn't the resolution of scourge also really disappointing
1: I, I, I didn't follow it. I mean, that's the thing that's I find amazing is I have such a huge um, blind spot with Mark Grunwald stuff. Um, this is not germane to this particular podcast, but Graham and I were talking about it, about uh, the Squadron Supreme stuff that Grunwald did, that I just keep trying and never getting a hold on. But the more that I read of Grunwald, because I'm reading more of this older stuff, I'm like, oh... I can see, because there's a lot of people who really love his stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I can see why you would love him if he was the first time you encountered the stuff that he's doing. But for me, I feel like a lot of what he was doing was stuff that Englehart
0: did, you know? And so... That's just it, and I think I've said this to you before, but, like, Grunwald's Captain America was my Captain America. uh And so, you know, you have Cap quitting, and that's the first time I read Cap quitting. Right. You know? So it's like, holy shit, Really? And then you go back and read Engelhart, and you're like, "Well, this is actually much better," but it doesn't have that. Like, this is the first time, thing. right? Right,
1: exactly. And so, for me, a lot of the Grunwald stuff, when I'm hearing about it or seeing it, I'm just kind of in that thing like, "Yeah, I kept picking it up, and I was like, I think I, I'll give it a try at some point." There was it. Certainly, it seemed like every time I picked up the art, I was kind of like, "I really don't. I'm not digging the art on Captain America." But so. Honestly, I literally have no idea how the Scourge stuff comes to an end.
0: But I, 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 I sadly can't remember, but I do remember it, it was a weird, like, letdown. In large part because, like Elf with a Gun,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's such a long-running plot. Mm-hmm. But it's literally, Scourge is literally Elf with a Gun crossed with who is the Hobgoblin, Right. right. You know what I mean, like, there's, there's no originality in Scourge at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obscure Marvel thing that Groomballs obviously liked,
2: mm-hmm.
0: crossed with very, very recent, oh, this was a storyline that did really well for Spider-Man. Right. Right. You know, it's it's amazingly cynical. Mm-hmm. And, it is. And, yeah. as, and as I said, like, entirely reductive to the Marvel Universe as a whole, because it's literally just, oh, this character is dumb, I will kill him.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. which you're just like, but you're Mark Grunwald. Like, you're the guy who celebrates all the dumb stuff, you know. So, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll have to save this for True Believers, our uh, upcoming podcast, when we finish all 114, 416 issues of the FF. Um, I'm kidding. We're, we're probably not going to do a new podcast all about Captain America. But... You can tell, we seem to enjoy talking about it a lot more than uh, Fantastic Four issues 291 and 290. No,
0: no, no. Wait, no. before before we finish with 289 and 290, I want to say that another fault of these besides the fact that literally the story goes nowhere. And it really does. You don't believe Reed's dead. The, no. the, the, again, there's a nice idea. Blowing up the Baxter Building creates a black hole because of the Negative Zone portal. That's a really yeah, nice idea. It's a good idea, but it does I nothing agree. with it. Again, yep. for the second storyline running, it's a good idea that nothing comes of it. Okay. Uh, apart There's from a... fake trap, because right. I don't believe Reed's dead, and nihilus serves no purpose. Right. And all the blaster stuff is is filler. It's just it's just filling space. Yeah,
1: it's just there to get fixed by Popeye.
0: Also, similar to 270, uh, 287 and 288, is these are some talky fucking comics. Again, mm-hmm. Burn did not used to be this verbose. Yeah. It's kind of amazing how, maybe because these comics are filler, but quite how wordy these comics are. And needlessly wordy. Yeah.
1: I, I just feel they're overstuffed. I think this is stuff where, where Burn... I mean, Burn in the past, I've complained about his tendency to take an epic storyline and try and, like, take care of it in two two issues. But some of these really feel like... Like this one, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed reading it anymore if it was actually a full three issues, but it would have. It's just if people had just shut up. When you read the books, people are shooting each other and things are exploding while they're talking. But it's just all so flat. Ugh. Oh, and Graham, I'll shut up, I swear, because otherwise we'll never get through the rest of this as it is, and I keep trying to pretend that we've talked about issues we haven't even started talking about. But <laughs> I feel like, okay, like you said, the the idea of the negative zone being in space above Earth, like, I really, again, thought that Byrne was going to go to that, you know how there's all the other negative zone stories um, had that little tick of, like, there was always the planet Earth and there was the asteroid belt where things were falling into the point of no return and they would basically be destroyed, but it was kind of Earth back behind it, you know what I mean? And it never really seemed to make any sense what Mm -hmm. was happening or where it was happening. When the Negative Zone gets launched as this sort of black hole event in space, considering Burton has come off some time travel shit, I'm like, oh, he's going to have the Negative Zone like that, that event horizon that they keep encountering is actually this point in the future. You know what I mean? Like it's a a weird space and time warp that ties together what was going on with that fucking event horizon and why there was always the earth in the background because it's actually this point with this thing happening. But no, of course it's not. So I got my hopes up for nothing. I hope everyone enjoyed it.
0: I hoped – that it was going to lead to Earth falling into the negative zone.
1: Oh, wow. Which also would have been kind of great,
0: right? Right? Yeah. Like, they're, they're, again, more interesting than what John Byrne did. But that's okay. He's turned into everything into 1936, which leads to the next two issues, 291 and 292, called The Times They Are a Changing and The Man Who Dreamed the World. 291, Jeff. Look at the cover of 291. Look familiar at all? <laughs>
1: Yes, it does, Graham, I have to say. How clever of John Byrd to reference a classic comic book cover. How unlike him. How unlike him indeed.
0: So here's the thing. He's riffing off, very clearly, the cover of Action Comics issue one. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait, was this when he found out he was doing Superman? Mm-hmm. Like, is this a, a call it Like, had he just got the, the job that he was doing Superman? Or was Man of Steel literally launching when this comic came out? No one know, it mm-hmm. turns out. But here's okay. what I found out, which is I had previously been of the uh, understanding, based on interviews with John Byrne, the Byrne believed that he would be able to do Fantastic Four and Superman simultaneously. Yeah, he, he thought it was that. enough of a big name that Marvel and DC would just be fine with him doing both books. While looking into when did Man of Steel actually start mm-hmm. today? I found out that according to, I want to say Roger Stern, but I might be getting the name wrong, a, a creator who went on to work uh, uh, for on Superman for DC. Mm-hmm. might be Marvel, that I'm thinking about it. Byrne ended up on Superman at DC because he quit Marvel in 1985. What? And, and DC grabbed him. Hmm. And then he went back to work at Marvel. Here's my theory, Jeff. What if these issues are literally Burn working out his notice? Uh, what, tell if me- had like a, what if Burn had like a year left on his contract?
1: Right. And he's just running out the clock?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it really does feel like he's trying to put things back in some semblance of order.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you not know think the, the Doom storyline and the Annihilus storyline as yeah. absolutely fucking dull as they are. Mm-hmm. Both feels like he's trying to go back to elements up from earlier in his run and tie them off somewhat. Yeah. And I thought, what if he's were trying to work off his his like what if literally he he handed his nose. it was like, I'll do another year for you guys and then I'm doing Superman. Uh
1: yeah, it's quite it's I guess it's it seems very possible to me, although Although, I don't know. Part of me is kind of like, well, I mean, these issues were terrible. But, like, you know, I'm trying to think about, like, how
0: 95... Ended. So, according to according to the timing uh, in this interview I read, and I swear to God, I only read this this afternoon and I wish I could remember, um, the timing lines up with the issues we read last episode. Mm-hmm. So the Christoph doom issues
1: and then the hate monger issues. Yeah. The hate monger issues. Right. And the psycho man stuff.
0: Um, Yeah. So all of that.
1: Well, I I mean, I have to say that stuff feels like. It it felt like like it was
0: opening stuff up in a way that these issues don't. These issues very much feel like a burn phoning in and to burn trying to close shit down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think there's a lot to that. Although yeah I, I I'm sort of agnostic either way. I guess you could tell me either story and I could basically believe it because you know, I don't know I, I'm not I'm not paying close attention clearly, but it's not I feel uncommon for comics in the 90s uh, to sort of simultaneously, hit the doldrums or ramp things up dramatically, you know, in anticipation of the upcoming hundredth issue, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. part of me is very much, I feel like, I mean, I just don't know. Cause I mean, certainly by the time you get to that anniversary issue, I'm just like, Whoa. but leading up to it, some of this stuff just feels, I mean, it all feels kind of, I well, you know, apart from the thing with doom which feels really rushed and is this huge overhanging storyline there's no i don't feel there's any particular toys being put back in the box over these next couple of issues you know you even have burn trying to to tease a uh, John, johnny's going to propose um, storyline that if nothing else seems like a subplot that he wouldn't be opening if he wasn't interested in resolving or pushing forward, but, but maybe I'm, but maybe I'm very mistaken.
0: Upon discovering that Byrne theoretically quit Marvel in 1985, which is right. super weird, and you know he's clearly not because in here's 1986, yeah. it's just he's still working for Marvel. While I do think that there's a lot here that looks like he's trying to close loops off, and, and I genuinely do. The thing that throws that off for me is the Nets issue, two ninety three. Feels like he is again trying to unfold the idea of Central City and Reads past being something of interest. Yes, they, he he touched on earlier that isn't putting anything away at all. It's just the opposite, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact because he said it in a, an interview in Marvel Age that he thought he was working on two ninety six.
2: Mm.
0: He thought he thought he was working on on the twenty fifth anniversary issue of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he clearly didn't think he was leaving the book when he he left the book. Yeah. Yeah. So so I don't, I don't know. I, I I contradict myself. Well, so I am I am yeah. almost as agnostic as you I guess. Mm-hmm. But the the idea that he was working at some sort of notice also for me explains why all of these issues this this episode feels so fond then.
1: Yeah. It certainly would. It certainly would. Although <laughs> for myself, part of me is kind of is very bummed that there is no real uh dc equivalent of marvel unlimited because i would kind of like to read the first year two years of burn superman stuff and there's only
0: two years of burn superman
1: well see right there you go but i I was just gonna be like i'll just read the first year i'm like no let me let me see two years and basically see is it just because like i said i for myself when burn made the jump to I remember picking up the Man of Steel issues and Superman and Action and being really kind of bored by all of it I feel like in the by the end of the first issue the first year of the Superman reboot the only book that I was following at all was Adventures of Superman the non burn
0: unburn issue yeah whereas like I I read all of those those were, those were my real Burden books, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. books, in large part because Action Comics blew my mind. Right. I was very new to DC at the time. Uh, I kind of followed Burden over there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so, like, a team-up book. And it was, like, it was teaming up with Burden's Burn's favorite fucking dumb, obscure characters. Right. You know, it's not it's not like, here's the Justice League. said it's like, here's Mr. Miracle and Barda. Right. You know, and I was like, "Who are these guys?" Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, whereas for myself, and this might be the curse of being older than you, I remember being thinking like, "Oh, this will be great," and being kind of like, "Wait a minute," you know, because one of the very first issues, first three or four issues of Action Comics has Superman teaming up with uh, Etrigan the Demon, and and Burns like rhyming demon fuck that shit and I remember being like wait you know the character rhymes now that's because of course as an Alan Moore fanboy I'm like John Byrne you have to play by the rules that's the continuity of this character now and so I was a little bit like eh fuck that guy <laughs>
0: And that fuck that guy attitude has continued into these episodes. I know. Everyone. Uh, so, let, let's get back to Fantastic Four super quickly. Oh God, please. The, okay, the most interesting thing about this departure in all seriousness is P. Craig Russell is inking John Byrne for 290, and it's a terrible combination. Yeah, yeah, it really it, is. It, it, it brings out the worst of both. You, mm-hmm. I never honestly would have thought, oh, P. Craig Russell has amazingly scratchy inks. And yet he really does overburn. He really genuinely does. He, it's It feels like P. Craig Russell's inks are Terry Austin when Terry Austin is on a deadline and half-assing it.
1: <coughs> well, I, I sort of feel that he was intentionally doing that. I really feel, and I could entirely be wrong, that that Russell's big goal is not to overwhelm Burns' what's identifiably Burns style. So for me, I'm like, oh, it kind of feels like it's sort of you know, somewhere between Al Gordon and Joe Rubenstein, you know? Which is but but I know you like those guys. But I was just kind of like, yeah, I No, this so honestly looks like here.
0: this looks like shitty Terry Austin to me. Okay. It really, really does. I I Of course I like Terry Austin, we, so yeah. We we'll put images up in the show notes and people can decide for themselves (laughs) but they go back to earth they they previously left it as it's 1936 and when they're on earth it's 1936 and all of a sudden it's 1986 what's happening who knows they are will not interfere with the timeline except nick fury who's with them is like fuck that shit i'm going to kill adolf hitler yeah and the rest of the team have to go and stop him the rest of the team i should say are sue she-Hulk, and Johnny, because Reed is, let's not forget, dead at this point. Dead. That's dead, quotation marks, Because, of course, Joe Reed's not fucking dead. The She-Hulk also disturbs the timeline by saving uh, the life of a local jazz... He's a jazz musician, right? I'm not imagining he is. that. Yeah. He, he blows um, a
1: mean licorice stick.
0: <laughs> what a great sentence. They, for some reason and there's no reason to do this other than plot which we'll get to soon enough decides to take that jazz musician with them when they go to stop nick <laughs> killing adolf hitler there's no reason to do it apart from you have to do it for reasons you'll soon find And uh, they try and stop nick but can they stop nick they can't stop nick and by the way there's a giant fucking nazi robot because of course there is what's that you're thinking we're gonna run into captain america no we're not but Nick is going to get beaten up by some Nazis and then rescued by the rest of the team. He's then going to kill Hitler. That's right, he kills Hitler, at which point everyone wakes up because it was all a dream. And you know who's overseeing them? S.H.I.E.L.D. technicians and Reed Richards, who isn't dead because, of course, he's fucking not dead. Reed explains he has been behind the thing all along in the dumbest explanation ever, which is basically... Hey, you know how I was inside the portal when it got destroyed? I was actually ejected from the portal because plot reasons... (laughs) <laughs> that, I mean, really, there's, there's, there's no explanation beyond I blew up my suit and it launched me at the portal in time, and then I was in space with no breathing apparatus. But that's fine because I made myself into a ball. No, no, no. That this is-, is the thing that is
1: amazing to me that I, I thought was really weird because you know, Burn, he's normally pedantic, right? Reed Richards blows into space and he says like. The explosive deep compression doesn't kill me. I'm unconscious. My body just slowly expanded into a big ball shape. And I was mistaken for a weather balloon. But it really does have this thing of like, you're like, but what about breathing? You're unconscious. Don't you breathe? And I really had that moment of like, does Reed Richards do do not, Reed breathe? not is breathe? Is that something that, that <laughs> like John Burton, Is this a is thing that? Yeah, Exactly exactly i was like is this in the handbook of the marvel universe that that because reed stretches there's absolutely no way for oxygen to circulate through his bloodstream and therefore he clearly doesn't breathe i have no idea i have no idea i
0: don't so i, I also want to talk about the fact that the reason the jazz musician turned out to be important is it was his dream yeah and he has like magical superpowers i guess that yeah. let everyone else into his dream somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not, let's not think about it because John Byrne definitely didn't. I'm, let's well, have know, think about yeah. the fact that this is the second time in John Byrne's 60 issues where we had a story which ended with, and it was all a dream.
1: Yes. And do you remember 248? Issues? Yeah, exactly. Where he's like, if you want to do a shitty FF issue, you have an issue where it's all a dream Or it's a giant figure that's bashing things around with no regard for actual physics. And then, you know, (laughs) and then 50 issues later, John Byrne's like, okay, mm, haters got to hate. You know what I mean? Like, they're just. I I, I love that
0: twice in his run, he's like, this thing that's impossible. It's just happened. How could it have happened? It's a dream. Yeah, exactly. Twice. Twice. It's, It's again, Byrne is phoning this shit in. It like, really
2: really is. really
0: is. Yeah. And also again, this is an astoundingly talky comic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Genuinely astoundingly talky. Yeah. Uh and I think that there is something and it's worth pointing out, Burn's Superman, which follows this, is much less talky. I'm not gonna say they're good comics, but they're far less talky. I, and I'll I genuinely take yeah. I genuinely think that Burn is talkier the less he gets a shit.
1: Yeah, that would make a lot of sense.
0: That would make a lot of sense. I think he's like, well, you know, I'm half-assing this, but that's okay because I'll just write a shit ton of dialogue.
1: Right, exactly. I'll just bury them. If if I can't be believable, I'll just bury them by the pound. Uh, Yeah. I do love – and again, this is the other thing that I found very lightweight about Burn, and you have to believe that it's him phoning it in. But really, in just about any other comic – Honestly, in an earlier set of, uh, of Burns Fantastic Four, the idea that Nick Fury would actually kill Hitler and fuck up everyone's timeline, like, regardless of the fact that it didn't have any consequence, the fact that he was willing to go there would have been something that would have had some serious repercussions. You know what I mean? As an ongoing storyline. And here it's just like, eh, eh, you know. Given his yeah. chance, like, Nick Fury would kill Hitler over anything, you know. And it's kind of like that's certainly in character, but it it says something potentially that you don't you. They, in theory, is worth examining about a guy who holds unlimited governmental power in the Marvel universe. But but Burns like yeah yeah yeah. Let's get on. What's next on my list? Oh right, I scribbled something at the bottom of this lit to do list of. Central City, Fantastic
0: Four heroes. Well, uh, sure, but at the same time, I also think that burn would never tell the story about there's something disturbing about Nick Fury being willing to throw everything out, uh, everything over, f- for a, per- a personal crusade, even though he has unlimited power. I think that I think he's okay with that.
1: Yeah, I don't I think, think he thinks is. there's
0: anything disturbing about that. Right. I think he's like, sure, I would do the same. <laughs> Do you think it's interesting? I'm sort of no, yeah, I feel... genuinely. I I I think he is ultimately on. Well, he's not on Nick Fury's side, but he's like anyone would feel would want to kill Hitler.
1: Well, I think I think he, I I see his point. He couldn't come up with a scenario at which Nick Fury could walk away from the opportunity to kill Hitler. I think that he is part of me is like yeah. I think Burns like no. There's absolutely no way. But I don't know. I had Graham, whatever. I mean, part of me is like, again, it's star Trek burn. It's, it's John Byrne being like, Oh God, that city on the edge of forever. Oh, how I love that story. So, you know, yeah,
0: right. what, but you know, the problem with City on the edge of forever. It wasn't a dream. I can fix that.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. I can make it totally consequence free and yet insist that it's going to mean something, but not. Yeah, no, it's, it's dull. Um, I do love that Hitler has like really, really tiny arms in a way that I never notice because I never noticed those things, but on the cover of 292, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for Bird to talk about, I mean, Graham to talk about Bird foreshortening Hitler's arm so much to get that Sig Heil salute in there. That he looks like he's got a little bit of arms. It's so great. It's like, you got to stop Hitler child t- Hitler.
0: Hitler had tiny arms. Let, let, let's just, let's just admit it. Hitler had tiny, tiny arms. I I also can we talk about how great the caption on the cover is? Nick Fury's gonna kill Adolf Hitler. And we've got to stop him, or do we? <laughs> I love that. Or do we? Yeah. Yep. Because there's, there's violence on both sides, Jeff. <laughs> That's where Sue's
1: going with that. Oh my god, I can't believe you played that card, Graham. That is brilliant.
0: Oh my god. Uh Central City does not answer. Is the title of FF293, the start of a three-part story, but also John Byrne's last issue. That's right. He's off the book after one issue of a three-part storyline. Yep. Maybe, because even he was bored as shit with this opening issue, which more than anything is a prologue to the rest of the storyline. Mm-hmm. The setup for 293 is there is a big black sphere uh, in the desert where Central City used to be. And it it seems to have swallowed the city, and it seems to not let anyone in or out. Apart from Iron Man, it lets him in, and he comes out immediately and was like, "Uh, that wasn't immediate, I was gone for three weeks. And they're like, that's that's a bit strange. Oh, I should say Iron Man is here because, for the most part, this is actually a West Coast Avengers issue.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because, of course, it is. Uh, Something that is particularly interesting to me given the amount of continuity porn that is in these issues, mm-hmm. is that the West Coast Avengers don't say anything about the fact that the thing was going to join the team and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. Given that the thing is going to play a part in this book in two issues time, mm-hmm. it's really surprising that there's no reference to have you guys seen Ben? Mm-hmm. We saw him a few months ago and then he vanished. Yeah. You know, well, that, that's, that's genuinely surprising that it's not there. Yeah,
1: it, they bring it in at the very end of this three issue storyline where Reed's like, "I just heard that Ben was in a hospital with the DTs." And you're like, "Yeah, whatever." You know what I mean? Like it it it's clear that it's not it's not it's either not on Burns' radar because he's like, "I don't care, this is my last issue, I don't give a crap," or it's just notable by how much those characters like Tycra's Tigra, there... like these characters all just disappear. You know what I mean? Like Iron Man gets dragged off. You get Tigra popping up for, you know, right up to the point where she says, oh my heavens, no. And I don't even know what's happening there. Like that never gets resolved in any way, does it? No.
0: Right? Okay, so so 293 ends with the FF show up after the uh, the Avengers, with the exception of Tigra, have, have gone... I don't know, to lunch. Uh, they're, they're, theor- theoretically, they have gone to take Iron Man to hospital. So why that took most of the Avengers, who knows? Tiger's there, She-Hulk's there, the rest of the FF show up. They they just decide they're going to go in. The reason they're going in is Central City is where Reed came from. He revisits it here at the start of the uh, Nathaniel Richards storyline. And this is the second time that he has returned to his hometown, Which, again, like I was saying, feels important. Feels like Burton was going to try and do something with this. Was Mm. going to try and do something with Reed's past, with Reed's history. But again, like this is his last issue, so nothing comes of it. And spoilers, Central City is not mentioned again in the book, after Mm. the storyline. The issue ends with the FF going in to find out what has happened to Central City. Why did Iron Man think he was in there for three weeks when he was really in there for less than a second? Mm -hmm. and tiger's like oh my god (laughs) again tiger is not going to show up for the rest of the storyline we're never going to find out what what, oh my god is Mm -hmm. Uh, because inside the 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 black mass it turns out the time is moving differently we knew that obviously Mm -hmm. but it is seemingly the far future and central city is now worshiping the fantastic four yeah dun 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 (laughs) cuts to Two ninety four, which is plotted by Byrne, but scripted by Terry uh, by Roger Stern and penciled by Jerry Ordway. Definitely. And two ninety five, the, the final issue of the storyline, is completely Stern and Ordway with no Byrne input whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Byrne has been fired from the book, you guys. Mm-hmm. Byrne was removed from Fantastic Four for whatever reason. Probably him going over to DC to do Superman. And he disappears in the middle of a storyline, like yeah. like so many creators on Fantastic Four, yeah. which is which is just nuts. It's so strange that I I think I could be wrong. I think Burn is the last important creator from this title to disappear in the middle of a storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, theoretically, Engelhart does, but that's only because Engelhart replaces himself with a pseudonym.
1: I'm sort of like, but that almost kind of counts. I mean, you know, one can well, make yeah, the, the argument. The reason he
0: the reason he does it is he's getting rewritten, and he didn't mm-hmm. want his name to go out. book. right? Yeah, uh, but like uh, Simonson gets to finish his run, mm-hmm. and and, it's and <laughs> It a huge. slightly longer, but not by much. <laughs> I want to say it's less than a year. Uh um, yeah. and DeFalco and, and Ryan finished their run, which is uh I'd like an appalling like hundred issues or something terrible. I's <laughs> um, not really, but I I do think Devalco and Ryan's run is longer than Burns. I would believe that. And also infinitely more boring. I am um, <laughs> Terrified of those issues. Oh, God, Graham. I, I, and I say that as someone who loves the Fantastic Four. I'm terrified of those issues, Jeff. Oh, my God. Um, Graham. Jeff, do a quick plot synopsis of 294 and 295. Uh, of
1: 294 and 295, sure. Uh, sure. The FF are in, uh, have, have found that uh, on the outskirts of once was once Central City. Actually, literally built above it is a uh, huge fu- futuristic um, city. That uh, you know, they they actually White Wingfoot, who's in tow, is driven to try and find She Hulk, who because she disappeared just a few minutes before, um, they believe because of the time discontinuity, uh, is literally 150 years in the city's past. How can she still be alive? uh, the FF end up encountering in this brave new world, uh, essentially, uh, um, what kind of seem like knockoff mutant minions that, um, each are, are, uh, sort of color coded and power coded to each of the FF. So there's a bunch of tough guys dressed in orange with a, very clever mask that's derivative of the uh, mask the thing originally wore in early FF issues who jump about yelling clobber time and uh, meanwhile the wing force uh, which I don't know who they're supposed to be, why they're supposed to be in some way stretchy, but they they jump around and hit people with sticks and the the burners uh, you know put out the human torch. all of this is to say, the entire society worships the FF and uh, yet did not really recognize the FF in this particular configuration until um, priestess Livia shows up and is like, oh, it's as if the FF of four, you know, the four who you prophesied would return to us have actually returned. And she's like, bring out the city founder. Because of course the guy, the scientist, we find out his origin in uh, issue 294 is he was a dude in central city who was very alarmed about the prospect of nuclear war, nuclear power plants and feeling very upset. And what would he do? And then he saw Reed Richards talking about, you know, Oh, you can more or less fix everything by fucking up the space time continuum. And he was like, jackpot. That's what I'll do. He set up a machine to try and hide and protect central city. But, he actually said it mistakenly. His whole goal was to have it so that the time uh, warp would essentially make the outside world move much faster while only a day or two passed inside Central City, which seems like a fine way to get wiped out by diseases, but what do I know? Instead, he turns it the opposite way around, and so everyone's aging at an incredibly fast rate. Inside the bubble, of course, it just feels like regular life to them. Him being a scientific genius, even though this was hundreds of centuries ago, he's managed to preserve himself in automated uh, suspended animation and bring himself out for special events. Kind of like Walt Disney. Also like Walt Disney, he's a raving paranoid with a funny hat. And upon seeing the FF, he's like, oh, well, let me test and see if you really are who you are with my helmet of truth. Just kidding. It's a disintegrated array, And we get to see the FF. Get disintegrated layer by layer until nothing but their startled skeletons are left on the page. Then in two ninety five, you find out. Yes,
0: I was going to love. It. Literally, that's what he does. He's like, "Let me scan your brains." Only joking. I'm disintegrating you. I I I love that. I genuinely adore how he's like. I'm I'm the shittiest villain. <laughs> yeah, I kind of liked it because at the end he's like,
1: "Yeah, sorry. There's like, there's no, there's only room for one savior." And, and part of me is like, that's kind of a nasty little twist. I kind of dig it, you know, and then, right? yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of, I'm kind of down with it. But then the next issue, basically, of course, the FF suspected something and, and Sue's powers of Deus Ex, Machina, force fields and invisibility uh, and her ability to mind read what was supposed to happen allows her to actually uh, save them. And they serve the FF surreptitiously uh, behind the scenes, uh, begin to sort of uh, take back the city. Fortunately, they encounter Myrna, the woman with mysterious second sight and superpowers, who's like, Yeah, I remember when She Hulk showed up, and before that, when the armored intruder came up. And basically, this city's been going to the dogs for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and I'll help you. Uh, and they basically free She-Hulk, who's been placed in suspended animation as soon as she came through, and what I thought was kind of a nice, nifty way of how do you fix this time dilation, it turns out that almost all the original inhabitants of Central City have also been put in suspended animation as well. So all the FF really have to do is beat back the inbred morons and try and fight uh, Mr. Mad Scientist who, in true... He's kind of a great Kirby Lee throwback in that he is a mad scientist supervillain, whose supervillain is basically he can give himself the powers that look cool on a splash page, but do absolutely nothing else. So it's kind of fun seeing him be a giant figure hovering over the FF in a big angry, pointy yelling way that is Jerry Ordway interpreting a Jack Kirby staple, and therefore just looks strangely photorealistic, like wow, Jerry Ordway had a lot of time with a photo camera around the Senior citizen, citizen, citizen Center that one day and really put it to good use and was able to write that off on his taxes. And then Reed being Reed, he gets the, the better of the mad scientist and manages to bring everyone back into the present but actually have the uh, city of the future will basically next pop-up in 10,000 years, where he's like, yeah, and hopefully at that point the mutants will be ready for the world around them, which is just really like, they were backwards and bred bastards before, Reed, what are you trying to tell us about the future? The end. I think that's
0: a surprisingly thorough, arguably more thorough than it deserves roundup. I have a question. Yeah. How do you, after so many burn issues, how did Saren and Ordway do for you? you know honestly
1: kind of okay but how do i put it it just felt they felt like they um i mean ordway's ordway i i i feel like maybe there's some point where i feel like ordway has his uh points where he becomes dull for me but ordway's not a guy that i think of as somebody who phones it in you know what i mean and yeah. probably especially back here where I think he's definitely someone who wants to have something to prove it's honestly the story throughout is so boring that I didn't notice that burn was gone until halfway through issue 294. Uh, And then I was like, Oh, okay. It feels it's dull in a burn story kind of way. And like the, like the batch of stories leading up to this, it feels like a story that starts with an idea in mind that it is forgotten by the time it gets to the end of the story. Like there's clearly supposed to be some sort of subtextual something about the FF being heroes and also about how the image of heroism is more or less subverted by a fearful guy who's trying to drag everyone else into the bunker with him, whether that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be burn whether that's supposed to be shooter, whether that's just supposed to be like a general sense of um, conservatism in the air in America during these particular issues, I honestly have no way of knowing. They were probably my favorite issues of the batch of this batch that we read, but that but that's not really saying anything. They were still kind of dull and half baked. I thought. But at least Stern yeah, and Ordway I, I, have a good
0: excuses. I think that they're both trying harder than Burn is. Mm-hmm. But I, as I was going to say less, both less suited. And I'm not sure that's true. Uh, Ordway is a better draftsman, but a less dynamic exactly. layout artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Burn kind of has an edge on his art, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I do like Ordway's surprising redesign of the costumes mm. he's suddenly he's widened the the white circle so that it now it goes across their shoulders that's right I don't I don't quite know what happened there I don't know if it was intentional mm-hmm. or or what it's very strange and very strange that no one fixed it if that makes sense
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but on a panel by panel basis like Audrey's art is, is serviceable to good you know his character works great. Uh, Stern is given a dog of a plot this, this is yeah. a very dull story but his mm-hmm. scripting is li- more lively than, than Bernd has been offering right as, as far as I'm concerned
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: uh, and I think that he brings more actual character to the mm-hmm. book I I will regret saying this in a few issues when he takes over as a regular scripter for a year mm. but not even a year like six months but he's he they both keep the book afloat, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like the, the most rocky transition from yeah. the creator who has been guiding the book for five years by this point and disappears yeah. midway through a story.
1: Yeah, I agree. But unfortunately, I feel like, as you pointed out, it kind of says more about the depths to which Byrne has sunk to, really more than I mean, Stern and Ordway are are capable creators and you're right they each have their kind of various shortcomings this is the thing i'm not especially familiar with uh stern's work as well a lot of the work that i saw from him is, is like as is basically kind of burns uh buddy you know what i mean he's like he and burn have enough in common that they spend a lot of time Gabbin on the phone and hashing out plots. They worked on Captain America together. They just seem relatively simpatico. So I don't have a very strong sense of Stern. Like, apart from that, when, again, we re, when we read the Avengers and I was like, oh, Stern is um, is kind of the epitome of uh, competent but unexciting. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, like, see, really, I think Stern's Avengers is, is a highlight of the run.
1: I think it is too, but again, part of me is like, I don't know if that just means how much of a shit show <laughs> the Avengers is for okay, those I'll first 300 issues. I,
0: I think it's good comics and a highlight of the run. And I felt like they were pretty
1: enjoyable comics, uh, but never super exciting. But but there's that kind of thing of like, how do I put it? Like Which I talked about at the time. There's a time where when reading A whole, like reading two years of just good enough comics is is a greater pleasure than some of its parts. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how I feel about Roger Stern's Avengers. I liked a lot of the stuff that he was doing. There was a lot of stuff that never got dragged to culmination. That guy pretty much had storylines that he dragged on to the point of tears. And yet it's all very enjoyable issue by issue. And he does things with characterization that's great. I just, but at the same time, yeah, I just, he's, his Avengers stuff is the closest, to, I've have most exposure I've ever had to him, and I remember reading it and liking it when we were reading those issues, and yet I was still like, uh, it's good, but I wouldn't trade it for Steve Englehart anytime soon, which, you know, is hardly a surprise.
0: And what is great is Stern is about to take over this book for, like I said, only about six issues, and then Englehart takes over. You get right. to trade Stern for Englehart, said Jeff.
1: Very exciting, yeah, so. But if you're gonna make that
0: make the argument that that's a mistake, go ahead <laughs> no I'm not Engelhart's run is if nothing else not dull right and and that's that's where I am with this book now mm-hmm. Part of the reason that these two issues feel as fresh is that the rest of the this the issues that we've been reading for this episode have been dull have been mm-hmm. boring have been burn phoning it in yeah. and you get the feeling that even if it's just flop sweat, Stern and Ordway are trying. Yes. Yeah. You know Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to go from this to an insane twenty-fifth anniversary issue with the next issue, followed by a workmanlike stern run that is exceptionally short, and then Engelhart just aiming aiming for the 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 stars in terms of craziness. You know? But it's... We're in a really weird period of the book. These issues are, again, boring. They're dull. But they're less boring and dull than what came before. So you're like, ah, Stockholm Syndrome. They're not that bad. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That is so sad. But so true. It's such a weird place for the FF to be at this point as a series. Because even... You know, I did not like almost all of the 1970s issues of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. But I, you still felt like the creators were more excited to be on the book than Bern felt for his last year.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I it, it's Everyone has sort of different – What one thing that I think is great What's great about Burns Run is I feel what's ultimately terrible about Burns Run, which is to say that it's John Byrne. Like he very much <laughs> Oh man. No, I mean I and I mean that in a I mean that in absolutely a good way. He he had the ego necessary to break the FF out of a stranglehold, which was this sort of you know stultifying love affair with the Lee Kirby Sinnott issues. And if nothing else Burns whole like, yeah, no, I, I got to get away from Joe Sinnott. That is not like that. That is just the opposite of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do something different. And even if different is, is like I'm jumping to those first 20 issues of the FF and I'm looking at them for visual signifiers, but On top of that, there's everything else he's got. He had a lot of very strong opinions of what he thought the FF should be. And God bless that for the most part, for the first part, that made things very interesting. Like I said, I would have to really visit those Superman issues and see. I could desperately be wrong. But what I read of Alpha Flight is a dude who is more, who is... Where the where the weaknesses of John Byrne are that he's he is he's pedantic He he wants to let you know that he has a better grasp of science than most people who like write science fiction superhero comics um, And just a million other deadly dull kind of things about, you know, here's a stick of gum let me show you how to chew it and and Like I said, it serves the FF very well, but I think as time goes on, as we get more of a sense of, as Byrne not only becomes more of who he is, but as we get a sense of who Byrne is, I feel like there's less surprises and there's sort of diminishing returns. You know? Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm incredibly, like if you think back to the Tatters that the FF were in pretty repeatedly in the 120 issues, you know, after Kirby leaves and before Byrne steps in, like there is the idea of like Byrne has brought us sort of the same way that it could be argued that Jim Shooter brought a certain regularity to Marvel. And in that regularity, there were some periods of high highs that were much better than you would expect, and genuinely thrilling. And then the low lows weren't nearly as low. But after a while, it just kind of all kind of becomes white noise, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it just yeah. So you know,
0: westward flows the empire, I guess. When I leave this these issues, and when I look forward to to what lies ahead, mm-hmm. I am. Um, much more excited about Engelhart and Simonson coming up, mm-hmm. you know, because again, it feels, and I say that this particularly because I've read these issues, but they're so different from the burn issues,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's what I want right now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. I I I feel burned out on Burned. and yes. that's that's not intended as a pun. Mm-hmm. Like I I I'm done with the burn taken the Fantastic Four by this point. Mm-hmm. And and it feels honestly like Byrne was too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's it. I think it, I
1: think if he wasn't so much so, I think there would be because even even the the crap the, the crap the stuff that we're talking about before we complain a lot, but but it's still better. The thing that I find fascinating is is that Burn for me overall the the one of the things that's sort of a shame is that. Byrne has some very strong ideas about characterization for the FF and for the most part, he somehow manages to execute it and yet not at the same time. You know, I look back to his thoughts about his, you know, his secret theories about how Sue and Reed's relationship works or what the hell is up with Ben's sexuality and and. And he puts some thought into it. it, but it also just kind of doesn't go anywhere. And I think that's one of the things that also is interesting to me about Byrne. Ultimately kind of self-defeating is, is that Burn is kind of a company man a little bit and, and also has this idea of like, no, you're not supposed to break the characters. You're supposed to clean up the toys and put them back in the box and you can only change things so much. Um, And yet at the same time, he's also like, but you know, Johnny's totally banging Alicia and that's, you know, that's totally understandable, right? You know, so it's, he's got weird, clearly weird periods where he, where he overlooks stuff, but it kind of makes sense in a way that he would move from here to Superman where he gets a chance to reboot Superman. And so simultaneously give the character a stamp of like, no, this is how you're supposed to do the character. And this is how I've got a character that I can also change, but I'm also changing him into the way that I see him and is the way he should always be seen. Like, you know, you kind of see how Byrne kind of has to go to the next level of that because the FF is an area where he's done five years in the book and tried to simultaneously move it forward and
0: sing the virtues of standing still at the same time. So this is a strange thing to say. Part of me is like, I almost wish we were doing a burn podcast <laughs> and falling yeah. and falling him to Superman.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally get that because I think after reading this much of his stuff, and arguably, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people would disagree, reading him in this much depth. Seeing where he would go with Superman and seeing what he's trying to do and implement and that next strategy for him of – it would be really interesting to me uh, in that sense. But also I think that it would it would, it would also be – I would be spending so much time being old man crabby pants that I don't think that – I think, Graham, you would actually quote-unquote accidentally break your own computer like two episodes in. <laughs> And refuse to get it fixed,
0: you know. What What is hilarious is I really do have such affection for the Superman stuff because because I read it when it was coming out,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I've read it since, and I know it's not good, but I still have the affection for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would be a very surreal experience for me.
1: Yeah,
0: it, it would be. It would be just be me going, "No, Jeff, I know you're right, but every <laughs> single episode,
1: you know, it would be great." Yeah. Would be we do a podcast called Bringlehart, and the first half is us following John Byrne, and the other half of us is of the podcast is following Steve Engelhart.
0: Oh, don't even suggest that because you know the people are going to be like, actually, <laughs> you should <laughs> I, do that when you finish Baxter Building. I just <laughs> exactly. want to say, Jeff, yes. Uh the next episode mm-hmm. we're going to be doing two ninety six. Yes. Through uh, 3.03. Okay. So we're going straight up to the start of Englehart. We're not doing the start of Heart, but we're doing the, the anniversary issue and all of the stern run.
1: That seems smart.
0: When When we get to issue 3.05, we will be three quarters of the way through the Baxter building.
1: Holy shit. That is amazing. Are you prepared?
0: <laughs> I'm clearly not, Graham. I'm
1: clearly not. Uh, But, you know, uh, considering this episode itself took four and a half hours for us to actually record, (laughs) let's let's not count our chickens until we're hatched.
0: I'm like on to the next. That's that's only a slight joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I I can't even say that as as if it's like they would have noticed because the sound quality is going to be nuts for this episode. It's all
1: over. We so apologize, everyone. I really do. And I feel like I'm. Because of the re- recording conditions, I feel like I'm just like recording this in a diving bell, where I'm sort of just shouting out things at This is at better
0: than the other headset you tried. I j- as everyone who's listened to this episode can tell, Jeff had real problems with his headset at the start of the episode, and we only realized it like 45 minutes in.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so, so everyone had to deal with some really shitty audio, and I'm yeah. sorry. And I knew it was shitty audio, but I thought it was the Skype connection. And we're not going back to re-recording. <laughs> Sadly, that. no. Hopefully, totally, Graham can, can come up with a garage band tool that can
1: clear up some of that buzz. But um, we, yeah, but if we'll, not, we see, Jeff, we'll
0: make it up um, to you later. But there was so in between. Jeff was trying different headsets and different audio solutions, and there was a, a second headset he tried, where. It honestly sounded like Jeff was speaking to us through a 1930s gramophone. <laughs> it's amazing. And Jeff, if you have a recording of that, really send it to me, and I'll put it up on the Patreon.
2: Okay.
0: And, and people who who care far too much will hear that, even though they won't get to hear you talk about your surgery recovery, which was my secret wish yes. for for the Patreon. <laughs> Four people on patriot they're like what did we do to deserve this <laughs> you literally, you literally enable us i'm really sorry i'm going to wrap things up super quickly we have show notes for this episode they'll be going up midway through monday uh that's a wait what com. there is a tumblr wait what dot com where i normally but i completely let things slip this week and i'm very sorry post um images from whatever comics i happen to be reading at the time and so does jeff he started again because he has nothing else to do because he's recovering from surgery and you should all tell him to do more it's so great it made me so happy um <laughs> We are have a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazybastard. At L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M. At G R A E M E M. And we are, as we've just been saying, a Patreon-supported podcast. When I say Patreon, Jeff sighs the deep sigh of someone who knows he's about to have to talk for a bit. I
1: Jeff know. Patreon. Patreon is a wonderful place where a wonderful group of people. Ugh. I am such a mush mouth is a wonderful place where a wonderful group of people make all this possible. Uh, literally the Baxter building podcast exists because of it being a stretch goal that, uh, that our kind and generous listeners, uh, thought was like, yeah, this, is, this could turn out pretty well. Maybe hopefully they're not oh, listening oh, to this oh, episode poor, and they're oh. like, yeah, they're like, Oh God, what have we done? We could have stopped this. Uh, Chief among those people rueful head shakers of the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially uh, grateful for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as wait what, uh, as well as not um, unleashing the negative zone on the uh, event horizon of Earth and wiping us all out. We thank you so much.
0: Other really, maybe we are in the negative zone. If you think of everything that's been going on, especially to us this tonight, maybe this oh, is God. the negative zone. We've learned so much. Yeah, yeah. We are glad to be back, despite the technical problems after a kind of wacky few weeks where we've yeah. been gone and then back for like a week, and then gone for a week again, and then we're back again. Uh, yeah. We are back next week. Yes, with a regular Weight wads. People who listened to the last episode of Weight wads may remember Jeff nods, that the next episode we want is our Starbrand episode. Oh God! Yes, <laughs> you totally forgot, didn't you?
1: No, no, I didn't. I didn't actually. I've I did the reading. I'm going to have to redo the reading so that I can remember where to talk about it. But also, like, if people who seem to derive enjoyment out of us trying to deconstruct a shit show. That is gonna be the episode
0: for you, let me tell you. Oh, uh, Starbrand people I, I can't honestly remember how we came up with the idea of doing a Star Brand episode, but I am so excited to do a Star Brand episode. Next week, wait what? Starbrand, be there or I I don't know, like don't know what goes <laughs> with like Jim Shooter and John Burton's weird passive aggressive weird hate ness. Uh yeah. Jeff, it's a mix building, so you you're the one who sings us out. Oh yes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.